Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Draw, Lose or Draw. Today we're going to take a deep dive into the 2017-18 season, discussing what was going on at the time in Ponda, where it all went wrong. It's a pod we've been planning and doing for a few years now, so joining me to do so are Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? You had a good summer so far? Uh, not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, still not over uh, the Dingwall disaster, but I'm looking forward to... Well, I'm I'm actually looking forward to the season starting again, so I'm looking forward to a wee, wee hour and a half of my official fix today. So it should be a good one. Good stuff. Heather Holloway's here. Heather, are you well? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Off for the summer holidays, and I've actually got a cheeky trip to Fur Hill tomorrow for a few nice things to do with Jazz Foundation. So excited to excited for that. And as Reese says, get the thistle fix. Excellent. James Carey's here. James, are you well? Ah, not too bad. Kind of complain. Um, just at that point, obviously, as we're recording, it's that point of the season where there's no football on, which is uh, where obviously people in my line of work is a nightmare. But thankfully, this will go back to training tomorrow and we'll start getting some pressers and all that again. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Good stuff. You're sounding remarkably fresh. And <laughs> rounding off our panel is David Forrest. David, you're fresh off a, a pre an off-season trip to our broth. Talk us to talk us to that. Yeah, I went to Arbroath. I was still very sad from Dingwall. Went up to Arbroath. Um, me, me and Jackie Synagogue have set the, the the plan for the season. We're going to win some silverware. We're going to win a Minions alarm clock and some weird like skeleton goblets that they've got. Um, we just need to get as many tickets as we can. But yeah, I went to the Bell Rock, had a wee pint or two in touch. I took my wife to Arbroath. Um, yeah, it was great fun. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I get to pretend I'm 28 again. Um, in the year tw- in 2017, because God knows I wish I was still 28. You know, I could drink and not get drunk. You know, I didn't have chronic knee pain. Halcyon days. Looking forward to discussing happier times, the 2017-18 season today. Well, well, we'll start off with a look at the, the summer of 2017, and that genuinely was happier times. Thistle were entering their fifth consecutive season in the top flight, off the back of finishing sixth the season before. That was our highest finishing in over four decades, and there was a new £4 million training ground on the way. I wonder what happened to that. Um, Liam Lindsay was sold to Barnsley. That was probably the most high-profile departure. David Amu, Adi Aziz also left the club. In came Miles Storey, Blair Spittle, Paul McGinn, Jamie Snedden, Milan Nitriansky and Niall Keown also completed a permanent move, while John Turnbull and Connor Salmon joined on loan. Reese, how would you sum up that? That summer of transfer business, uh, what were your thoughts going into the, the 17-18 season off the back of the top six the season before? It was it was a it was a weird summer, um, and I remember like the club was were pretty active in terms of transfers. I remember a lot of the announcements and stuff that they'd done. They would do like they were just having a bit of fun with it. I remember when Jordan Turbo got announced and they told you to go back and read the previous ten tweets and stuff. So it was a good summer in terms of keeping keeping you in the loop with signings and stuff and they, they were kind of non-stop. I, I remember so clear as well the day that um, we, we announced Story and, and Salmon at the same time because at the time that was a bit of a coup for us. That was a, a, a really decent double signing and we paid we paid money for Story, paid a fee for Keown as well, which at the time you're thinking that's an absolute cracking signing because of how good he was with Lindsay but obviously losing Lindsay was detrimental because he was the first Thistle player well, probably probably ever I don't know correct or in a long long time anyway to get in this sort of PFA team of the year he was the only guy outside the was it Celtic and Aberdeen were, were Rangers in the league at that time I can't even, yeah they were I think they were so I Rangers Celtic Aberdeen and he was only one outside of that so some achievement 
But in terms of the signings and, 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 and other departures, I think that Amu, losing Amu and obviously Aziz were were sort of bit, were overlooked actually because Aziz was big key reason, big key factor in getting top six. And I felt like up until we probably signed Scott Tiffany and we never really replaced David Amu either in terms of a, a winger with a bit of pace who would sort of beat a man and get balls in the box. We were struggling to get in that and we were sort of putting guys out of position trying to, try to do these jobs and it wasn't working. But... Like guys coming in were, were from all over the shop. You look at Milan Nutriansky, was it was it Slavia Prague or something he came from? And he, he had sort of like I'm sure he had like European experience. He played over like hundred games for them, which is obviously a a, a very decent level, probably better than the Scottish Premiership. So these guys coming in and they just flatter to deceive. And the the one that's surprised me the most is who's gone on to have a pretty decent career was Paul McGinn, because I think like from watching his performances, I thought he would have kind of dropped down the leagues, but he's still up and about the Premiership, so fair play to him. All in all, it was a pretty middle-of-the-road middle season in terms of transfers. Probably, if you look at the season as a whole, it didn't do a good job for us overall. So, looking back on it, it was it's one of them, in hindsight, wasn't great, but at the time, you thought it was pretty decent. James, just thinking about the, the training ground that was announced and, and off the back of top six, can you remember a time supporting Thistle in your life where there was so much positivity and things looked sort of so good and like there was so much potential at the club? Well, honestly, no. No, I think that that was, I mean, obviously that is uh, that kind of high point in terms of league position that we've had, like you said, in about 40 odd years. And like you say, yeah, like, you know, obviously we, we had this training ground on the way, you know, we like you said, Liam Lindsay was playing brilliantly. He just got got himself a move. We had we just finished top six. Like it did really feel as if like we're on the cusp of like really establishing ourselves as like a Premiership team and really sort of laying putting down roots and making sure that we were going to be there for a while. Obviously, that's not how it all turned out in the end because the wheels came flying off. But yeah, certainly that summer there was that feeling because like like yeah, Reece was saying there, you know, um, you know, we were spending money on players to get them in, guys who looked like pretty decent signings for a club of our our level. I, I, obviously, yeah, the loss of Lindsay was huge. In my opinion, that's probably what where it all went wrong that season. I think, because it's largely the same team. A few key changes here and there, but it's largely the same team. It's like, but Lindsay's gone, and all of a sudden you go from 6th to 11th. But it, as you say, though, that, that summer, though, obviously before it all happened, it was a great time to be a Thistle fan. It, it did kind of feel as if we were a club on the rise and after the first few seasons in the Premiership, a kind of battling against relegation, you know, it kind of looks as if we'd, we'd almost kicked on from there. And But sadly, it wasn't to be. We're going to have a look at this season month by month, sort of Premier League style, so look at some of the news stories as well. So some of the big stories from July 2017, the Iraqi Civil War officially ended. The Lake District became a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site and Jordan Spieth, friend of the show, won the Open at Royal Buckdale for his third and sadly most recent major title. Um, Heather, what do you remember from that summer? Well, as a, a big tennis fan, normally my summers, especially early, are defined by Wimbledon. So that was a Roger Federer win. But also, I guess more importantly for us as Scots, that's when Jamie Murray and Martina Hennigas won the mixed doubles as well. So it was quite a good summer. And um, I, I was going into my last year of university before becoming a primary teacher. So I think I was just, um, you know, the, I thought we had like the fourth year blues a little bit. But equally, I think as James was saying there, I think it was a great time to be a Thistle fan. And it was kind of one of those ones where you were looked forward to what could happen next. I mean, the 
the kind of crazy thoughts of Europe, etc., were creeping in and probably were to our detriment. Um, David, the first league, uh, the first league cup match of the season, the first competitive match was away at Livingston, and that was the first day we met. That was a a real sliding doors moment that day. There might not have been a, a draw, lose or draw without that that meeting. I know what the one of the only times in my life I've actually been on time for something, and one that probably a lot of people listen who have listened to this podcast would have hoped that it was late for. That was a weird day because I think had you met Mark before? Because I met you and Mark Wallace on the same day. Had you met yeah. Mark before? I'd met him before, but I think that was the first game I went to with him. Yeah, yeah, because um, we all got we got the train we got on the train at Bells Hill. Um, it was a rare. I think I, I don't know what had possessed you to do it, but I think you had driven to Bells Hill, and then uh, got the train as opposed to just driving to Livingston. And yeah, it was it was a good day out. Like, it was good for this. I didn't go to Thistle games with people. I just went by myself, and it was. Um, it was great going with other people. It was a great day, but it really was a change for me in terms of my fissile going habits because before then I didn't go with people and now I had people that I could go with, you know, away days and stuff like that. Completely revolutionised the way that, you know, that I consumed fissile at that point because I had other people to do it with. Um, so, yeah, I, as you say, a real sliding doors moment. But, um, I mean, the game was total dog shit and we get beaten penalties. But, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a big step forward for me as a fissile fan. I think that Livingston game, we, we weren't to know at the time, was sort of going to be indicative of what was to come that season. Obviously, Livingston were the team that ultimately relegated us, but that was really sort of setting us up for the season. What we thought was setting us up for the season was was a few a few days later when we beat St Mirren, who were quite fancied for the, the championship title at that stage. We beat St Mirren 5-0. Rhys, what do you remember of that game and, and how were you feeling after that getting into the, the league action? Yeah, like you say, it was it wasn't what was to be for the remainder of the season. But leaving that that game, I just remember we were playing we played brilliant football. Like Spittle was scoring free kicks, and uh, obviously we we signed Spittle that summer, did we? Yeah, we signed Spittle that summer, and a guy came in, and for for the first time in years, a Fissile player could hit free kicks, and uh, a new number seven got on score sheet twice. Lawless was brilliant that day. I, I think he ran the show, which which is pretty standard for for these days as well. So Lawless was playing well, Spittle was playing well and it was just, it was really good, like like you say St Mirren were probably one of the favourites going into that season to win the league, so to dismantle them, you're thinking, right, well it, it's obvious they're a championship team, we're a top six team and we'll push on and we'll hopefully get top six again, like we are sort of you're thinking at that point in time like, uh, we're, we're a step above St Mirren and, 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 like, and we were at that point in time um, but our paths have just crossed since and and it's and it's a different story now, but yeah, leaving leaving the game that day, I just remember being absolutely buzzing. And it was on TV, so whenever a game's on TV, you can as soon as you search Twitter, you find all the highlights of the goals immediately. I remember coming home that at that time. Uh, I think I was too young to drive, or I didn't have a car or something, so I'm sure I got the bus home. I remember just watching the highlights back on the bus straight away, and I was just buzzing watching them on repeat because some of the goals we scored that day were frighteningly good. Um, so aye, that was that was one of the very few really good days that season. James, what were your memories from that 5-0 win? How does that rank in terms of all-time Thistle performances you've seen? Because I think it's, it's right up there for a lot of people. And how did it set you up um, in terms of your expectations getting into the league fixtures? Yeah, again, it's kind of like, like I was touching on earlier, but, you know, when, you know, obviously that summer we all felt good, we all felt excited, and then, okay, there's the Livingston game, but you can kind of shove that to one side. And then, obviously, you get a huge win over St. Mary. And again, again, it just feeds into that idea that, all oh, right, and we're on the cusp of something like really quite special for us this season. You know, 
and like you say, I, I mean, it's as, I mean, it's as good a win as any. I think that you could argue, you could argue that we've had. And again, I just it, it raised for, for me at least anyway, it raised expectations again. Um, and you know, yeah, as party Thistle fans, we should know better. We should know that you know, it's, just, we're not, uh, it's not going to be. Uh, you know, we're never going to go on this crazy winning run and become an absolute relentless killing machine. But like, I just felt that I don't know. Yeah, again, it just it just raised those expectations again, which just made the subsequent you know ten months or whatever just made them all the more painful because I just didn't really see it coming at all. You know. So we got out of the League Cup group, and I think expectations were quite high going into August. Uh, August was a month where Neymar joined PSG for what still stands as a world record transfer at 200 million. Prince Philip retired from public duty. Big Ben fell silent as renovation work began. And the US, they were hit by Hurricane Harvey, which was the most costly natural disaster in America since Hurricane Katrina. And also blown away that month were Partick Thistle, who lost all four league games in August. League action kicked off at Easter Road and we, we fell to newly promoted Hibs. 3-1 on the opening day, Heather, what were your, your memories from that one? Well, as an Edinburgh uni student, I was always just so happy when we were playing in Edinburgh. I mean, it was like a home fixture. And obviously we started the game really well with Chris Erskine scoring early. And again, you felt like that was us marking our uh, our course of action for the for, for the for the year. And but then you look now and you see the team that they had. I mean, up front for them, Martin Boyle, Simon Murray at the time, and then um, I'm sure it was McGinn was playing as well. So it's quite an, imp- you know, they, they had a very impressive team and then we were absolutely blown away by them later on. And it really came, and I can say this as someone who watched the highlights from it earlier today, every single goal we conceded, including a penalty, were all from mistakes. I mean, it was a classic thistle ricochet off a player for the first goal. Like, isn't it hit off Danny Devine and just fell to one of them on a plate? And I think that's just something that summarised this season, where the defending was just absolutely shambolic. And it goes back to the the inability to replace the same standard as Liam Lindsay, but also marks the fact that Adam Barton just didn't really hit the heights that he had before. We're definitely going to have a chat about Adam Barton later, because I think he's a a fascinating uh, character. The sort of drop-off from where he was the previous season to that season was was pretty bizarre, but yeah, we'll definitely have a chat about him a bit later on. David, what were your memories from the sort of opening weeks of the season after the Hibs game we lost to, to Celtic and St John's in the next couple of weeks, 1-0, and then there was a an exciting 4-3 defeat to Aberdeen at Farhill, but an opening month where we didn't pick up any points. What are your, your memories from that time and how, how low did your expectations get after a good League Cup campaign? I mean, for me with that, it, it was an interesting one. I mean, that Aberdeen game at Farhill was, if it was the other way around, it's one of the best games you'll ever see at Farhill, um, even when we're on the losing end. If you're on neutral, it was an incredible game. I think it was, I seem to remember, I I was late getting in. When I got into the taxi, it was 1-0. When I was getting out of the taxi, it was one each. When I got through the, the turnstiles, it was at 2-1. And then I sat down, turned around, and put my jacket in my seat, and it was two each. It was something stupid like that. It was an incredible game. Again, going back to what I was saying before, of like Matt and Mark, it was, kind of, it was a really exciting time for me as a Fistle fan. And, uh, going to like Easter Road away, I'd never been to Easter Road, and this is uh, sort of the first year that I made a tilt like going to going to away games, and I didn't because I, I had a job where I got a lot of Saturdays off. Um, 
So I was just, even though the, the results weren't there, I'd been used to it over like the five years of being in the Premiership that we are utterly wretched until Christmas every year. So I actually wasn't that concerned, surprisingly. I had two abiding memories of that was though, um, was at, at Easter Roads, there was a guy next to me who full on destroyed his seat. He just like punched and kicked his seat when they f- went to 3-1, the most angry man. And I met him like four or five times sitting next to me at games throughout this season. I've never met him since, but it just presumably because he's either in jail or get his head kicked in. But he always started to try, try to start fights away fans and stuff like that. Oh, the, the one other thing I remember is I went to, we played St. John's in the League Cup this month, didn't we? Um, in we the did. last 16. And that, that was a really great game because that was St. John's at the sort of Tommy Wright pomp of just, if they went 1-0 up, you were done. And it was, you know, you were not winning. And then um, to see us sort of, out St. Johnson and St. Johnson was fantastic. And I think Ryan Edwards scored a screamer as well um, at McDermott Park for that goal. So, uh, yeah, that was a great game. So I really enjoyed that. And it, it was kind of, yeah, we were quite shit in the league, but we're doing all right in the League Cup and we'll be all right. We'll get to, we'll get to like November, December and we'll be fine. I think the League Cup maybe stopped the alarm bells from, from filigan off at this stage. Heather, do you want to come back in? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think another notable thing that happened um, in that Aberdeen game, well, it was that Chris Doolan completed his set of playing, of scoring against all Premiership teams. Obviously, it's such an impressive stat, but also for a party Thistle player to achieve that, which is absolutely unreal. But also, I don't know if you guys remember, the goal that Scott Wright scored that day was absolutely sensational. He just obviously seemed to play very well whenever he came to Fur Hill. But I totally agree with David, that was an absolutely mad game where it was actually, it's one of those hard ones where we did a very unthistle thing and went from being 1-0 down to 2-1 up. And But of course, Classic then didn't know how to hold on to it. And again, it was, it began, well, maybe not began, but it saw the kind of thing of conceding in the last 10 minutes started that trend. You make a good point about Scott Wright, Heather. I think from the date we secured top six until the end of August, the Aberdeen game, I think Scott Wright scored the same amount of league goals at Fahal as, as Thistle. So uh, he did he did a wee spell of terrorising us at that point. Uh, Reece, Niall Keown scored and sent off against Aberdeen. Sadly, didn't do the, the Sioux celebration. Uh, what are your memories of that game? That was possibly the game of the season, although Thistle came out in the wrong end of it. I remember it being a good game. It's, it's not often... Yeah, it was a good game when you've you were on the losing end, but it was if you're a neutral there, you'd been absolutely buzzing because it was end to end. But like you say, it was like a basketball game, so a good game for the neutral. But it was just frustrating because there was times where you think, right, we've won this now, right, surely we've won it now and stuff, and or we've got points from it at least. And like you say, we just we came away empty-handed after putting what felt like so much into the game. And ultimately finished with 10 men, got suspensions and stuff as well that they're going to obviously carry into the next game. So we actually came out worse off from having a, such a good performance than, and uh, like you say, just going into the second one for the season on zero points. It's, it's never good, but especially after games like that, you, you sort of look at if we can take any positives in it. And obviously the fact that we did score three goals and against a good Aberdeen side, just like that is a positive at least, but it wasn't to be moving forward into the season. James, do you recommend? Yeah, I, was just, I just wanted to point, just add that, um, I mean, it's kind of similar to what Heather was saying earlier about the game at Hibs, where there's some rope we defended early on and that kind of set the tone. I mean, I don't know if you, I can't remember who it was that scored the first goal for Aberdeen, but I, again, I was watching like a lot of highlights this morning and this afternoon and like the defending is just awful. It's just like a ball comes in from out wide and the Aberdeen player is like basically charging in and goal 
with just no centre half near him at all against a massive gaping hole in the defence. And again, that's something that obviously became a kind of repeat problem. But and the thing, the thing is, though, about those games against Hearts and Aberdeen, it's like they were good teams, you know, like like Heather was saying, you know, that Hibs team had, like, you know, McGinn, you know, McGeeh, you know, Martin Boyle and stuff like that. That Aberdeen team, I mean, you look through it, it's like Graham Shinney, Kenny McLean, Ryan Christie, Scott Wright. I mean, they fin- went on to finish second, they finished ahead of Rangers. So, like, I don't think there's, um, I don't, I don't think like losing to the likes of Aberdeen or Hibs, like losing to those teams is, uh, that should have been a massive cause for concern, to be honest, because like those were good teams, and you know, so I think that while those results were disheartening, I don't think they were anything to be like overly worried about, just because of the caliber of the opposition. I think that's a good point. There was we'll move on to September then, because I think there was maybe a little bit more to worry about in September. Um, in that month, on the 16th anniversary of 9-11, MPs voted in favour of the EU withdrawal bill. So that's a, a dark day in, in history. And a £10 note featuring Jane Austen was released for the first time. On the pitch, Thistle faced Rangers twice at Fahill in the space of four days. First in the league duty on a Friday night and then another midweek game in the League Cup quarterfinals. Uh, James, I'll just come straight back to you on the on these two games then. What are your, your memories of that week and that little spell of playing Rangers twice in quick succession? Um, heartbreak mostly, because uh, like, you know, like most of us on this call, um, you know, I've, I mean, obviously the last time we beat Rangers was what two? Th- I can't remember now, but ever since ninety three, so ninety three, Jesus Christ, sorry, and, like <laughs> I would have been one. So yeah, there's that, there's that whole thing of like, you know, I've never seen uh, Thistle beat Celtic or Rangers, and obviously at this time Rangers were pretty rubbish, relatively speaking, but like they were only going to get better. So I always felt that. So I think the top six season was probably our best chance of actually getting a win over them. And I, I kind of felt that, you know, the longer time went on, it became it was becoming more and more unlikely. But to us, like, for those games, I mean, I remember there was the, was it the game in the league when Squiddy got sent off for that crazy tackle? That's that, right. That he scores game, and yeah. then gets sent off for tackling Morelos, yeah. Because I, I just remember, like, that, even, like, the red card, it was, like, it was very... Chris Erskine, because he just, you know that way, he's just kind of running after the ball and just looks completely out of control. And I mean, he was completely out of control, and he just goes flying in. Um, so uh, that was a bit of a crazy one. And then obviously there uh, the League Cup game a few days later when, I mean, it, it looks like we were done. And then it's absolutely brilliant touch and finish from Doolin. Like, I think it was the 91st minute or something like that to pull it back. Uh, but I, I think it was just, I, I mean, it's just kind of motored away after that. But I mean, it's quite funny. I was, looking, I was watching the highlights of that earlier as well. And like, Obviously, that was Pedro Cachini's Rangers, and the the three players that scored against us that day were uh, Carlos Pena, Daniel Candias, uh, and Eduardo Herrera, which I just thought was quite funny, just because like it's just an absolute banter team, and yet somehow they've still managed to get some sco- some goals against us. So um, no, yeah, those, those games are like, they were disappointing, but I mean, I think the two old game in particular, we could at least say, job we really gave Rangers again. I think we're probably the better team that day. And you know we're maybe unfortunate not not to get that win. So again, like that, just kind of fed into that encouragement where it's like, okay, we hadn't we had a tough start to the season, but you know that tends to happen at Thistle anyway. You know, but we were playing against Rangers and we we're giving them a game, doing you know scoring goals and stuff. So again, that I wasn't. Well, I was obviously gutted that we didn't win. I wasn't too disheartened with the performance because you know again I think we did give them a game. I think we did do quite well across both those matches and it's just disappointing that we left empty-handed from both of them definitely david as james says this was this was pedro's rangers and i think this was only a, a few weeks after 
Pedro in a hedge in Luxembourg. Is this the best chance you've seen in your lifetime if, if this will pick up a win against either the old firm, really? I would say so, yes. I think 2017 really was the year for us to beat the old firm. Uh, between Pedro Cachinas, Rangers, first season in the league, us fine top six, there's only three league places with between us at the end. We got a point against the Invincibles in the top six season. You know, we were winning against Rangers twice at Farhill in the, the season before, then this, then the League Cup. I think 2017 was the year for us to beat them, um, and we didn't. So, you know, um, on these games, the Erskine red card was one of the only times I've heard the Thistle crowds simultaneously go, oh, and yes, at the same time. Everyone was delighted he'd done it, but knew it was an utterly stupid tackle to do. It was kind of like you're living in the moment at that point. It was it was, it was a very odd reaction. I've never heard it from a Thistle crowd um, afterwards. It was it was great. But those Rangers, that also was the flag burning as well. Do you remember they nicked all our flags and burnt them on TikTok? Um, so that, was, that was, what a time. It was proper wrestling it was proper wrestlemania hulk hogan and sergeant slaughter patter it was brilliant um and then i seem to remember everyone bought a flag i still have mine reese i just love the fact that david always sees the funny side even like and and this was demise like oh it's funny when we got our flag stolen like how funny dingwall was in that <laughs> dingwall will never be funny but anyway I, that those those two games were like it was mental it was a, a mental time because we were matching them like Rangers were no better than us on these two occasions. Um, obviously, I think the two each game, like, it was mental seeing Bruno Alves at Farhill, by the way. like You'd seen that guy play World Cups, European Championships, playing the Champions League in areas at Farhill, like Bliss Bit was firing free kicks over his head and that. So it was it was just weird seeing like, like us competing against like Bruno Alves and stuff. And aye. But the, the two games, like, I remember the the cup game when Dylan got that 91st minute equaliser it was so unthistle like it's, and it reminds me of Ibrox this season when when we we went we went one 0 up from a VAR penalty so unthistle like um, and to get a late equaliser against Rangers to take any extra time you expect that to be that on the other foot and it felt like yes we're finally getting a wee bit of revenge for the sort of the season before when Joe Do- Joe Dodo and stuff were getting the late goals against us so. Um, it wasn't to be on that night either. Like we just ran out of steam. We didn't have extra time on our legs, and they they were bringing sort of a, an embarrassment of riches. Well, relatively anyway, onto the park to sort of run past us, and it sort of fizzled out. But those two games, like like what's been said earlier, there was still positive signs. And if we didn't have like the cup the the cup running stuff, then you think um, maybe Archie's jacket would have been on a wee bit of a shaky nail early doors. But aye, the the cup run was keeping them alive. Just the last word on, on the 2-2 game against Rangers. This was Stuart Bannigan's fourth booking of the season, despite nobody having any recollection of Stuart Bannigan actually playing this season. So that's that's great commitment to the, the cause from Stuart Bannigan there. Um, Heather, the last game we're going to talk about this month is Thistle 1, Hearts 1. This was moved. It was meant to take place at Tynecastle, but it was moved because they hadn't finished their the work on their main stand yet. And I think this was quite an important game. Christy Elliott broke his ankle this game, which I think was a, a turning point. Hearts also scored a, a late equaliser to, to draw the game 1-1, and that was also sort of a sign of things to come. How big a, a game and how sort of big a blow was losing Elliot and losing a late goal in this one? Yeah, I think um, one of the things, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I 
Uh, my brother just thinks he's the biggest loser ever. But Blair Spittle had a very good start to that season. And quite a lot of his goals and um well and the and the set pieces that he that he delivered made us maybe feel like we weren't doing as badly as as we were. Um, or as we say, like the alarm bells weren't ringing yet. Obviously, so he scored in this game. Again, losing a late goal was very disappointing. But I think at the time, because we weren't finding a win anywhere, the fact that we managed to gain a point didn't feel like the worst thing ever. Again, against, as James says, a good hearts team. But I do think that it just showed that inability to be able to protect Leeds and um, the fact I also think that it was maybe the start of our bench becoming a worry and the fact that we didn't have the the change of gear or the plan B and I think that's where Archie did start to um, you know it, it began to become especially with, as you say with Christy Elliott going um, and being injured that natural Archie play of the wing backs and moving forward it it, it became tricky and we had to start putting players in positions they didn't usually play also just to go back to that Rangers game I love that game because I was on tv celebrating the 90 the the 90th minute goal and I got so many messages from my Rangers fans friends with pictures of me and being like you know like some very rude comments about it so I am always gutted that we didn't win it but it, it was my what a, a moment of fame for me and then they used it quite a lot on Sky that year anytime we were on Sky they'd use the celebration from that goal so I would just be like constantly in like group chats being like oh here's Hev again celebrating a loss uh, and I was found that quite funny but yeah it was it was it was quite a it was quite a, a hard one to take a, another last minute defeat. So yeah. would you have been back to back with Archie telling Pedro to get it right fucking up him? Like it was I mean Archie saying that and then you celebrating is that <laughs> back to back? That's that's great. It's on this this archives put it up semi recently, and um, I can't, I can't remember what 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 the sequence is, but um, I'm definitely myself and Brindley are there because. It was in on Twitter and it was like, didn't know that Hermione and Ron were party Thistle fans. <laughs> and then Old Firm Facts put it up and it was all about the fact that like two like West End uh, people like celebrating like a new like independent food truck or whatever. Like it was quite entertaining. I'm glad you mentioned the the Archie telling Pedro to get it right up from David that we would have been remiss not to mention that. And I'm sure that will be the episode picture as well. Um, I just want a word on Chris Daly because, Heather, you asked me uh, earlier when we were talking about this, was Stevie Wallace at the club this season? You'd obviously erased it the whole season from your memory. And I think like the early injury sort of has an effect on so many players' seasons because I think Paul McGinn played a lot of the season at left-back. Lawless played a lot of it at left-wing-back. And that's the earlier injury sort of took away from a lot of other things. I think that sort of forced us into a change of shape um, and players out of position. I think that really did have a big effect. And another thing on the earlier injury, I mean, he broke his ankle and it was one of these, like, it was up for a head on. I think whoever he went up with just sort of landed on him and all the weight went on his ankle. And then he, he, had, he was made to walk all the way around the pitch from the Jackie Husband stand down the tunnel. And there was folk at the side of the pitch with a stretcher waiting to come on and they never come on. And you wonder how much worse that sort of 100-yard walk around the side of the pitch made that injury. I'd, I'd love to know that. And if we could have got Elliot back any sooner, if he was stretched off. Uh, James, do you want to come in for a, a final word on this month? 
I, I was just going to quickly say that that Hearts game, that should have been our first win of the season because, again, I was, I was watching the highlights back earlier and the goal that Ross Callahan scores, it's like a corner, he heads it. And then Danny Devine, it looks like to me as if he clears it off the line to me. But uh, it was given his end. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I just watched the wrong angle of it or something, but I'm, I'm not entirely convinced. I think that, that should have been the first league win of the season. Um, James, I watched, I, I, I watched it too, but when Michael Max said that definitely crossed the line, I was like, oh, probably did then. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. If it was, if it was Danny Devine, he's probably not cleared it off the line. I was I was really pleased you mentioned about coming up in the the celebration though Heather because I, I, I was watching the highlights with that the Rangers game back earlier and I, when it cut to you in the crowd I was like is that Heather I, I wasn't sure I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was you or not so I'm glad that now 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 we know that was you and you know, you, got, you got your five minutes of fame. We'll move on to October then a month where the round one pound coin ceased to be legal tender. And Scotland also failed to qualify for the, the 2018 World Cup. A good run in qualifying ended with a 2-2 draw in Slovenia while we needed a victory. That was the campaign where we had the 2-2 draw at home to England. And I think if we'd won one of those two games, we would have we would have made it to Russia. Uh, it's probably the closest Scotland had been at that point to qualifying for a major tournament since, since they did in 98. Obviously, we have done since, which is good. Also in October, Thistle picked up their first league win of the season, beating Dundee 2-1. Before that game, they, they lost 3-0 to Motherwell and lost 2-0 to Kilmarnock, so pressure was beginning to ramp up. David, I'll come to you on this one, and I, I want your thoughts on this. Right? So in the 2-1 win against Dundee, Thomas Cherney was booked after 21 minutes. That was not his earliest booking of the season. He was booked after six minutes at Fur Park in a 3-0 defeat. Can we have a word on that sort of commitment, please? I mean, it is... It, it, We'll never see it again. Um, in fact, we, I, I was in the pub last week and there were uh, some Aberdeen fans and they mentioned that they played with Thomas Cherney and my eyes lit up and I was eulogising about how brilliant Thomas Cherney was. A, a sensational commitment um, to just being a total shit house. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Because I remember that he got booked in the Dundee game uh, stopping a basically taking the man down when he was through and goal because he knew he's probably easier to save the penalty than it was to stop the shot. And we did save the penalty. And to be fair, in that Dundee game, it saved us because we, we ended up scoring an injury time with Miles Story, of all people, scoring to get us our first one. And I remember that game, just with Cherney saving the penalty and us winning it, the absolute euphoria of, oh my God, we have won a game of football. I forgot what this feels like. It was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, we, Cherney is man in the match. Cherney won us that game. I believe he pulled off some incred- another incredible save that game as well. Um, he was a huge part of that game. And just, I, yeah, just that, that season. I mean, it would have been far, far worse if we didn't have Cherney in goal. Um, so yeah, what, what a man. You think of Cherny's Thistle career as well, and this was probably the season out of the three where he performed the poorest, but he was still winning his points. As you say, David, I think he made a, a save in the second half for Musa that game, which was one of the, the best saves I think he made in his Thistle career. Therese, I'll come to you. How big a how big a win was this first league win of the season coming and and towards the end of October? How important was it to get off the mark? Oh, it was huge. Like like you say, you're going into October and you're you're finally getting your first win. So it's taken a while, but the manner and, and the way that we've done it as well, it just it felt like things were going to start clicking because look at the confidence you can take from a, an injury time winner. And like I spoke about earlier, I thought it was a bit accurate at the time when we signed Mouse Story because obviously I think he'd scored he'd scored twelve goals for Inverness 
and then he got that move to Aberdeen and he was in and out of the team and he was still scoring. I think he got four goals with Aberdeen in a season which for the amount of minutes he played was fine. So when you're signing him, you're thinking, right, if you can get the Inverness Mills story, then we've, we've won a watch here. Um, and you're just waiting for him to score his first goal. And am, am I right in saying that was his first for us? I think that was his first. So you're thinking he'll kick on for here um, and things will all start coming together nicely. Um, like we say, the story of this pod, this podcast, it just it wasn't the case, but um, that was it was imperative that we won that game, um, especially against Dundee at Firhill. Like you say, I remember that journey saved so clearly from us as well. That was an absolute belter of a save. So uh, it was that was another one of the very few great days. I remember leaving that game absolutely ecstatic. Um, was on one of the natural highs at that point, but I have a, a very good day at the office. Just after that game, we drew 0 0 away at Hamilton, uh, a game only memorable for the ball going through the pie stall on the home end. And then the following Saturday, we were back at Firhill, and it was Milestory again, a big month for Milestory, scored a winner and a goal of the season contender for a 1 0 win against St Johnson. Heather, what are your memories of, of that little stretch of games in, in late October? Well, I was just going to say, I think that something that was actually detrimental to Milestory's career was someone at one point trying to start a mile story chant with the Balamori theme tune and I and it didn't catch on and it was kind of booed out and I it sticks with me to this day because all oh, my nieces absolutely love Balamori and I always think of him when I hear it and that was that was probably a very scraping the barrel very low compared to obviously the, the songs that we have now so uh, I do feel sorry for, Mel, for him because I mean who's getting excited about playing for Thistle if that's the chant that you're given but it was it was a fantastic run and what a goal it just showed his pace and his ability to use his strength and I just wish he'd done it in any other month that he played for us I I just remember like watching some of these highlights back with Mel's story some of the crosses he made like he genuinely wasn't a footballer you know I I'm he just he couldn't play football he didn't he'd look down at his own legs and go what are you doing you know it was very entertaining probably for someone who wasn't so attached to the club but going back to that late October I remember thinking this is it this is when the when the season turns this is when we get into our stride and to get to two victories in a row after the after the shocking start it was it was fantastic and I do also think this was maybe when Andy McCarthy came in and started playing a bit more of a pivotal role, which was a good thing to be able to be giving support to our Thistle people in the Thistle Academy and giving them that chance to go and show themselves in the top league. And I do think this season also was a time for Kevin Nisbet to put his name on the, on the team sheet, which was maybe good for him later on in the line, but we didn't really get the benefit from it. But it definitely was, well, as we thought, the start of something exciting. You're right about McCarthy. I think he did have a few good good appear, uh, good performances around this time. I remember he was up against Glenn Kamara in the Dundee game and he came out of that pretty well. I think with Kevin Nisbet, you're probably going back a little bit earlier. I, I had a few performances in the League Cup. I think he did a really good one up in that game David mentioned at St. Johnson and then never really did it because Dylan pulled his hamstring at Easter Road, I think, and Nisbet came on in that game and didn't really do anything. And he, I had a chance or two in the League Cup and didn't really do anything. I think that was the time for Nisbet. And he just never really did it when he had the chance, which was a shame. James, do you want to come in on the, the last few weeks of October? I, I mean, I was just going to, like, I remember the, the Dundee game really clearly because at the time I was a student and I was working in a restaurant as a waiter. So 
I didn't, obviously you're working a lot of weekends, I didn't get to go along to a lot of games, but that was one of the ones I got to go to. And I remember reading the John Lambie and uh, obviously, you know, Story gets his last minute winner and it's absolutely incredible. And it's quite funny because I was with a friend of mine, he had, to, he had to go to work and he ended up leaving about the 88th minute or something like that, so he totally missed it, which is, so I gave him quite a hard time over that. Uh, just, I was just thinking there as well about when Heather was talking about Miles' story. He reminds me a bit of me when I play football, and I'm rubbish at football. Like I can run around a lot, but that's kind of all I can do. I can't actually play football. That's kind of how I feel like story was for us. I mean, I was looking up earlier, and again, this is from Wikipedia, so I think it was a pinch of salt. But according to, according to Wikipedia that season, story only scored two goals. So I think those two games were the only goals he scored all season. Um, but having said that, I mean, the one against St. John's was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's like kind of shades of Dillon at Eastern Road. So they were good goals, but again, like... that. Like like Heather was saying, like you know, Miles Story, that that was it. he peaked then, and then uh, from that point onwards, it was just didn't really offer much at all, really. <laughs> I think it was Ray Bradshaw, and he said that when he was talking to a few of the Thistle players, they said they couldn't pass it to Miles Story's feet; they had to pass it in front of him so he could run on it onto it, and almost like accidentally sort of dribble well. So if he passed it to his feet, he like just couldn't control a football, which maybe explains the, the goal against St Johnson because that was just him. He probably didn't know what his, his end plan was, but it turned out to be a, a really memorable and brilliant goal. We'll move on to November then. Things were looking a bit up on the pitch. We only had a couple of games in November. Uh, off the pitch, the Bank of England raised their interest rates for the first time in 10 years, which seems sort of unthinkable now. Uh, the Paradise Papers were leaked and a topical story from, from November 2017. The Argentinian submarine ARA San Juan suddenly vanished with 44 crew members on board while patrolling the South Atlantic, and it was found a year later, over half a mile down in the Atlantic Ocean, wrecked. So uh, it's a topical one there. Uh, just a couple of games in November, but uh, sort of mixed, not great. Rangers 3, Thistle 0 at Ibrox, and Hearts 1, Thistle 1 at Tynecastle, which was the first game in front of Hearts' new stand. We'll start with the, the 3-0 defeat at Ibrox. Reese, what were your memories of that one? Um, not good. What, one thing that I do remember clearly about that game is I never, I've said on a podcast before, I never really leave games early, mostly due to the fact that I get a supporters bus, so the bus is going to be there anyway at full time, so it's not as if you're going anywhere apart from sitting on a bus. But I remember leaving that game maybe about 75, 80 minutes. I'd just seen enough. We were, we were absolutely pissed that day. Um, brutal. Um, I, I, the only other thing I remember about that day, I might, I'm sure that Gary Fraser played his first game and maybe years for us because I'm sure he was at Morton on loan and he'd obviously been out injured for a while and I remember he came back that day played a, a, a short period and um, one of the few appearances that he made that season so that was probably the only positive seeing Gary Fraser, Gary Fraser again um, but I, I, I does more day Ibrooks. David? Yeah, you um, you mentioned this game sparked a memory in my head about this, and um, it really summed up this season for me. This was the season where uh, somebody set up a Twitch channel and you streamed every Thistle game on it live, um, so you didn't have to pay for it, or like you know if you didn't have Sky Sports or whatever, and it was every game every week. I think I still follow them on Twitch because of this, but I seem to remember I didn't go to the Rangers game because I was at the Damnation Festival down in Leeds and I was staying at my friend's house. And um, I said to him, can we watch the Fistle Rangers game? Because, you know, obviously like, they're playing and I'm not going into a wee bit. Yeah, that's fine. And we played so bad in the first half that the guy who ran the Twitch stream at halftime just went, oh, fuck this. 
and he just put up a thing going, I'm not showing the second half on my way to the pub. And it just, just fucked off. He was like, no, we're not winning. It's done. So I almost saw the first half because this guy was just so defeated by how bad we're done. He couldn't even be asked to stream the second half. I think it was the only game he didn't stream in full. And um, yeah, it really summed it up. He was absolutely right to do it. We were absolutely chronic. One of my memories from this game, I can only remember Chris Doolan ever getting booked twice for this one. I'm sure he probably got more. But I can only remember two. One of them was when he had the 100 and counting on for his 100th goal against Ross County and getting booked for lifting the shot. The other one was in this game. It gets subbed on after an hour when we're 3-0 down and he just came on and up for a header and battered one of the centre-backs. I've never seen him do anything like that before. But get a yellow card for that and that, that was the only redeeming feature of that day. Um, Heather, what are your memories from the next game? Hearts won, Thistle won. This was the, the turnaround game where Hearts eventually got their new stand ready. I think the game was delayed several times here. What are your memories from this day? I love this day. Um, One of my best friends from university came along to his first Scottish football game and I spent a lot of the game trying to explain certain chance men and just enjoying hearts, hearts completely imploding on themselves because I remember they played so well in the first half. I'm sure Ian Cather was in charge. And I'm, they absolutely blew us away. And we were very lucky to be just 1-0 down. And then in a kind of classic Cathro way, he completely changed his game plan and the way that he went about the game in the second half. And I mean, at this point, I wasn't like a hockey coach or anything. So I didn't really understand game plans or anything. And for me at that age to understand that something was wrong just kind of shows us how bad it really was. And then it was, and then we did, something to a team that teams always do to us. We scored a last minute goal, Chris, and it was Chris Doolin, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think because obviously there'd been the whole um, thing about the, the new stand and the fireworks and uh, performances, and it was all about, a, it was a bit of a party atmosphere at Tynecastle for them. Being able to kind of rain on their parade was very enjoyable, especially I'm sure the kickoff was delayed and they were I'm sure that the ground itself was still like a work site and there were certain bits you couldn't go in and some of it looked low-key quite dangerous I remember like at one nil down when I thought we didn't have a chance I was kind of talking to someone about if was there a way that we could like claim that we're unsafe and this game can't go on but thank goodness it did and I generally felt like a victory the way that because we scored so late on it was a great photo I'm sure of Chris Dillon like in, in front of the fans um, and everyone going wild and Tynecastle is my favourite stand uh, stadium in Scotland it's just so impressive and I just love how steep it is and it's a great atmosphere so it's always good to to get something there. James your memories from from that game? Yeah, just kind of similar to what Heather was saying. Yeah, I remember there being, I think that there was like an inspection and all that as well on the day of the game, I'm sure, to, to make sure the stand was actually okay. As for the game itself, I don't remember too much about it, to be honest. Like, I, I remember it was a bit of a smash and grab for us. Like, and, you know, like Heather was saying, that's quite unusual. And certainly this season, you know, more often than not, we find ourselves on the receiving end of those. I, I was reading the report for this game earlier, Heather, and... I, I can't really remember any of this, but it's Craig Levine is the manager, but Ian Cathro is still there. So Craig Levine's obviously come back as as he ends up being a permanent manager. I don't know if he's been the caretaker or what, but Ian Cathro then, I think he's been sacked, but he's still coaching or something because he comes on the pitch at full time to clap the fans and he just gets booed. I don't have any recollection of that, but it's in the BBC report, which is <laughs> very strange. 
I remember that is wild because I remember seeing him walking around town in Edinburgh and really wanting to kind of go up to him and have a chat or like you know a bit of a get up you but decided to decided against it thought you know the you know, as a as an upcoming teacher would have to you know upstand behavior I remember this game because it was the same weekend I met my my now wife and I remember I met her on the Friday and I was when I met her again on the Monday I was trying to explain the context of all the delays and how satisfying scoring in the last minute against this team was because they'd mucked us around with um, rearranging the fixture. And then when we turned up at Tynecastle, I think it was delayed 15 minutes. So trying to explain to somebody that's not into football how satisfying this last minute equaliser was. was quite, obviously, it sort of worked because we're now sort of happily married. But uh, at the time, that is my sort of recollection of that weekend, a sort of whirlwind weekend. Um, Another yeah. um, example of the Matt Greer ticket battle fever of you know oh, uh, honestly David because it, it no. can be, obviously it gets switched and then it was yep. going to be on the Saturday they moved it to the Sunday it was meant to be a, I think a half 12 kick off on the telly they moved it to three and then moved it to a quarter to five because ah. they, they still hadn't got the safety, safety certificate by like half two in the afternoon it was wild the ground was like a building site like it probably wasn't safe to house football supporters i remember the toilets didn't have like any working air conditioning or paper towels in them uh, and it was just like cones out and bits of tape to stop you from going to certain places it was uh, a crazy day but i deserve well i deserved equalizer in the sense that we were mucked about from chris Dolan and yeah the pictures at the end of that i think that picture of Dolan celebrating still quite a few people's display pictures on twitter so yeah worth it in the end Everyone was kind of making fun of it because the dugouts don't match up. That's right. They're not quite in line with the halfway line. And they were, at that time, they were also at the other side of the pitch from where the tunnel was. They hadn't finished the, the changing room, so they had to walk across the whole pitch to get to the, the dugouts. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, we'll move on to December after a winless November. In December, Russia was banned from competing in the 2018 Winter Olympics due to state-sponsored doping. Star Wars The Last Jedi was released in cinemas and Coventry was named the UK's City of Culture for 2021. David, what is your favourite thing out of Russia, Star Wars and Coventry? Well, ya izakal istirio politiku i yazik yurosi yivu universitat tak to yabizkazal Star Wars. Very good. Uh, this was a, another tough month with some highs, some some very low lows. I think we opened the month with a 1-0 home defeat to Hibs. So no shame in that. But then we lost 5-1 away at Rugby Park. And I think this was when alarm bells started to ring. James, I'll start with you on this one. Was Do you think this was the time to sack Alan Archibald? Should we have sacked Alan Archibald? I remember the sort of chat at the time was this was a, sort of the first time his position had come under that sort of scrutiny. Things were looking bad in the league. We were in the relegation zone by that time. The the week of Dundee St. Johnson victory seemed quite a long way away. And what are your memories from this time and your feelings towards Archie? Do you know, I, I think at the time, I was probably one of those people that was going, mm, maybe it should be time to make a change. But I think now when you look back at it in retrospect, I, I, again, this might sound daft, but like, okay, we got absolutely destroyed by Kelly. That's obviously not good. Like the, that Kilmarnock team was a really good team because remember they started off that season with Lee McCulloch in charge and they were doing absolutely rubbish they were bottom of the league for ages and you kind of thought brilliant that kind of helps Thistle because there's one team that's absolutely rotten beneath it's brilliant but then obviously Steve Clark comes in 
and just completely revolutionises that team. I mean, he took over a team that was, I think they were bottom of the league when he took, took charge, or not far off it. And then he got them up, you know, they finished fifth that season. Next season, they finished third. They were a really good, you know, obviously, you know, Clark worked miracles. And I just remember being quite scared after, like, Clark's first 11 games where he basically played, after he played every team in the league. And it was, became clear that absolutely no one had his number. Like, he just, he knew how to play against everyone. I mean, the, like, that, that game against Kilmarnock came in a, a big, huge run. But at that point, Kilmarnock, like, I think in something like, they played about 15 games and lost one. You know, in, in that run, they beat Rangers, they beat Celtic. You know, I think the only defeat they had was, like, away to Aberdeen. And you kind of go, fair enough. So, again, I think that, obviously, at that time, they weren't as high up in the table as we'd go on to finish. But, you know, that that was a good Kilmarnock team. Because, again, like, the guts of it was there for next season. And then they got all the way up to third. You know, and they were, they were a brilliant team under Clark. So, I think that, obviously, at the time, it was, yeah, that's when the alarm bell started to really ring. I, I think at the time, I probably was. One of, those, one of those people that was going, mm, this might be time to make a change. But I think now when you look back at it, you can go, you know, that that Kelly team were as good as, you know, any parts our Hibs team have been in recent years. So I think that obviously it's a, it's a poor result and it's disappointing. But I think when you look back at it now, I don't think it looks quite as bad as it did at the time. Yeah, I think that's a good point on this, this Steve Clark. I think he obviously had a, a huge effect on that on that Kilmarnock team and that Kilmarnock season and a bit he was there. I think I was quite a staunch defender of, of Archie this season. I, I definitely didn't want him sacked. I think he'd built up enough credit in the bank uh, by that point to sort of earn the shot to get us out of it. I, obviously, it's hard to say now if, if we sacked him, would things have changed? I was looking up sort of the stats of teams that do sack their manager when they're in the relegation zone. And if you sack your manager when you're in the relegation zone, you've only got, you've still only got a 42% chance of staying up. So it's not like the odds are sort of stacked in your favour if you make a change. I think Archie sort of knew the league and knew the players. And there, I think there was a sense as well, we were going through quite a, a bad time with injuries that or once we get the injured players back, we'd be all right. And I think that maybe came back to bite us as much as... Is, is keeping hold of Archie did. Reese, what were your thoughts about that time? How how low a point was that in this season? Yeah, it was it was pretty low. Um, I mean, losing five one to Kilmarnock, or losing losing five goals to any sort of team around that sort of level. You look at obviously we we end up losing to Ross County later down the line. But if we ever lose sort of five goals against a Kelly, a Ross County, a Dundee, you know something tragic has happened. So that it was a really bad day until it's five one against Kelly. But as James said, they did go on to be a good team in the sort of the years with that the frame of that team already there. So in retrospect, it's not the worst, but it was a it was a really tough month for December. Um so at that stage it wasn't a good time. Um, we'll likely come on and speak about I'm I'm sure we beat Hamilton Ackies that month. I think now Keon scored and, and that was that was a, a wee glimmer of hope that sort of kept the sort of naysayers away. I kept the wolves away from his door, so to speak. But I, I, I was never in the sort of camp of getting Archie out either. I, I kind of thought that, he, like you say, he'd done enough previously. It kept us in the league for five years, and even though we are in a shambles, it's his job to get us out of it. So I was never asking for him or hoping that he'd get sacked. I was always on his side. David, we had a few tough away results this month. I think we lost 3-0 at Dens Park a bit later on, but we, we picked up some some good points at home. We beat Motherwell 3-2, we beat um, Hamilton 1-0 and Ross County 2-0 as well. On the Motherwell game, this was particularly memorable. We were 3-0 up. I think at half-time we were 3-0 up, if not early in the second half. Yeah, we Motherwell did it back to 3-2. And uh, our, our Lord and Saviour, Thomas Cherney, bullies a linesman into disallowing a Motherwell goal. What are your memories of that one? 
I mean, it was definitely onside. Like, let's not beat around the bush. It was definitely onside, and it should have been given. Um, I seem to remember me and my friend and work who supports Muddle talk about this game quite a lot because it was Gail Bagheera Mana, I think, who came on. And I think my friend maintains it's like the only game he was ever any good for Muddle was in a scene he absolutely ripped us apart in the second half. And um, if Cherney hadn't bullied that linesman into giving that, we would have went down straight away because there's no chance we would have held on to a 3-3 game. It would have been 4-3 Muddle. We would have just collapsed even further. It's, it, it was absolutely magical. The entire stadium was just, oh my God, he's not actually going to give it his offside. And he did. And yeah, uh, what a, a top, top moment. Um, and a, a fantastic game again, if you're a neutral to watch. But um, I, you'll you'll never see anything like it again. Well, I can confidently say we'll never see a goalie bully a, a referee or a linesman and he given an offside goal again at Hill. It was incredible. Heather, do you recommend that? Was it not also for like impeding play, like yeah, and also the uh, fact that um, but also the fact because he didn't actually touch it, but he moved towards it, and then Thomas Charney like bra- like gestures towards his knee and is very very you know emotional about it. It's just the kind of thing now. Like I think that Thomas Charney should be sent to VAR HQ because obviously he's more passionate about these things than anyone else. I think. Just having a, a sort of a look on the the teams in the league at this point, I think James, you've mentioned that like that was really good Aberdeen and, and Hibs teams and Kilmarnock as well. Motherwell had a really good season. I think this was the season they got into the the two cup finals as well, and they, that maybe hindered the league for them. But I think they came seventh in the end. I think our sort of downfall was you look at Dundee and Hamilton, and we we lost badly to Dundee this month. We, we're going to go on to speak about a, a bad loss to Hamilton. They were the teams that we should have finished above. I don't think it would have been any shame in finishing eighth or ninth this season because I think this was a fairly strong top flight. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think, I mean, um, Greg Taylor was playing for Killy. Some people who are now obviously in the forefront of their careers. I mean, James talked about who was in the Aberdeen team, etc. I think it was a genuinely strong league and people like Simon Murray were sent on loan because they weren't getting a game at hips but then got a game at Dundee so we definitely I know we're going to talk about the injuries coming up and it's never an excuse but we definitely struggled with keeping up with the quality which the other teams were producing because Dundee had Musa at that time as well who just managed to um, produce goals when needed and and as much as we love Chris Doolin he definitely wasn't this wasn't the season for him like obviously he did get 10 goals as he always does but um it was a tough time and people like Connor Salmon again went on those runs and then dried up the minute he got offered free pizza and um but Blair Spittle too really hit after a really good start to the season had a big dip and I think we were extremely dependent on him. David we'll finish our look at, at December with a look at the the Celtic 2-0 defeat at Parkhead and it's it's not the game I want to speak to you about it's it's Gary Fraser and his his near murder of a Celtic fan that should have resulted in, in prison time, I'm sure you'll agree. Absolutely. It was a rocket. I've, um, it was one of the best strikes I've seen um, from a Thistle player in a long, long time. I did love it in months during the playoffs and Gary Fraser came down um, and everyone started <laughs> singing who put the ball in the Celtic stand, Gary Fraser. It, it was just the whole hysteria around it. It was the, the, the Celtic fan kicking up a big stink and obviously 
anytime anything bad happens to anyone at Celtic, the the pylon is huge. And then our our, our response was to give them like two tickets to the next Thistle game, which I quite enjoyed. Of like, you, you can come and watch. Like, no, this team is chronic. Why? Why would you want? If anything, you're making it even worse. Especially like. I'm sorry for nearly like breaking your nose or whatever. How would you like to watch 1718 era Patrick Fissel for on? No, no, absolutely not. I've got better things to do. I, I, it was very, very funny. Um, I, I think that's all I can really muster about it. It was incredibly funny. James, do you want to add on that? Yeah, again, this is going to sound a bit strange, but um, so uh, there's, a, there's a wee pub just next to me where I live. And Gary Fraser drinks in there as well because he stays near me as well. I've, I've definitely been up to him like kind of like more than like I, I remember one time going up to him and just kind of being like talking about the Celtic, uh, talking about him blasting the ball into the stand at Celtic, and he's just like he immediately just kind of started kind of like rolling his eyes and he's a bit kind of disinterested. It's like it's clear that I think quite a lot of people have gone up to him over the years and, and congratulated them on that moment. Uh, but I just thought it was funny because like I, I see him about every now and again, and like every time I see him, I just kind of go like. Oh yeah, remember that? Like, it's quite funny that because like, he was he was a talented player. I think he, there was there was definitely a, like ability there, and obviously he had some some difficulties. But I just I think it's quite funny that that's his legacy. You know, like that that's the one moment that we all remember. And as, as I say, I think he gets reminded of it on a fairly regular basis. At least he's got the the goal at Tynecastle as well. He's not a one hit wonder. He's he's delivered two solid hits. So so fair play to him and, and all the best, Gary. Uh, we'll move on to January 2018. Then just the one news story from from this month we're gonna we're gonna discuss and David, I'll come to you on this one as well. Elton John, uh, and we are recording on the Sunday of Glastonbury 2023. It should be said. Elton John announces he is retiring from touring. David, how how big a loss is that to, to live music? <laughs> I mean, all all these years later, you just look back and go, God, I wish I could have went when he was still performing. If only you know, if, if you said to me Elton John was playing the Hydro. Last week, I'd have snapped your hand off uh, for a ticket um, for it. Um, a sad loss in the music community. Hopefully one day he can come out of retirement, you know. But, you know, it would be good to see him still dancing, performing on the stage again. Uh, so in January 2018, Jordan Turnbull's loan was ended and Bailey Cargo came in on loan from Bournemouth to replace him. That was a like-for-like swap at centre-back. As Heather mentioned just a moment ago, we had a long injury list, so it was... Dimbaya was injured, Christy Elliott was injured, I think Callum Booth spent a long time injured, Abdul Osman, Stuart Bannigan missed chunks of the season, I think that was a year as well Chris Doolan put off, I think put off surgery or had a knee injury for a lot of that campaign and that's maybe why he did. He wasn't quite at his best, um, but a few of these players did come back uh, in January, we had a three week winter break, our first game back we went a goal up, we were 1-0 up against Celtic at half time, eventually lost that game 2-1, but I think there was a bit of positivity after that. We'd, we'd competed well against Brendan Rodgers Celtic. And then we had a couple of good results. We went down to Palmerston in the Scottish Cup and we won 2-1. And then we won 3-1 away at St. Johnson. That was the first away win in the league since since March 2017. So, Reese, what, what were your thoughts in January? We'll start with the transfer business. Turnbull away, loan terminated, and Cargo brought back in. Do you think that was, do you think that was enough? Did you feel that at the time? Well, <clears throat> losing Turnbull was obviously, um, well, in my opinion anyway, I thought it was a bit of a blow because I, I felt as if he was coming on to a game and it, it was pretty solid. He played out from defence and he was he was left-sided, wasn't he? So it's not easy to sort of replace a, a left-footed centre-half. They're sort of, they're few and far between ones that are half-decent anyway. So I thought Turnbull was 
it was certainly better than Keown that season. And he was probably one of our best defenders, although there was nothing to really brag about that season. But to lose him, it was it was disappointing. Um, but when I heard we were bringing in Bailey Cargo, uh, it's probably one that few people raised eyebrows at. But I'd actually heard about him before, um, mostly through FIFA. I knew that he had a real face on FIFA and probably the only Thistle player to ever have a real face on FIFA. So he's got that about him. And he had a bit of a, a decent background. He'd had a couple of good loan spells. I'm sure he was at Coventry as well. Um, he's obviously played played games for Bournemouth. He'd made a debut, played in the Premier League and stuff. I think he played at Old Trafford as well. So came with a bit of uh, a wee bit of pedigree behind him. And I don't think he was necessarily the worst either. I thought he was all right. I don't think he was really cut out for a, a Scottish Premiership relegation battle, mind you. Am I right in saying that Dumbaya came back this month as well. I'm sure he played a game or two. Was it in January? He played the game against Celtic. Yeah, I think he gave the penalty away for <laughs> Celtic's equaliser. But when he came back, you're thinking that's a new signing in itself because of how good he'd been in previous years. But that that just fizzled out as well. So um, Billy Cargo for Jordan Turnbull was almost kind of a light for light in terms of a young English centre half. Uh, but over the course of the piece, you'd probably say that Turnbull was the better player, and we we had downgraded in that department. Reese, I'm glad you mentioned FIFA there, David. This was the last season, of course, we were on FIFA. Uh, Scottish Championship clubs don't have that uh, luxury. You should know, you should remember this from the last draw loser draw quiz we did. Do you know who our top rated player was on FIFA 18? I was actually about to mention this, yes. Uh, it was quite the year for uh, FIFA hype at Thistle because uh, Milan Nitranski was, of Correct. course, our highest rated player, higher than Dolan, Erskine, Wallace, Kearney, everyone. Um, yeah, it was quite because I remember at the time people going, he's, he's like 68 rated on FIFA, like he's gonna be class, he's gonna absolutely <laughs> tear this league up, and then um, he's he, he, he didn't. So, um, I, I quite like Nick Transkin, he wasn't very good, but I, I, I admired his hoot spa. He was not, uh, David. I'll stick with you, Queen of the South won Thistle 2 in the Scottish Cup. Somebody tried to bring fish into Palmerston. This was the the heights of salmon mania. What are your memories from this day? And also, as a side note, what is the strangest thing you have tried to bring into a football stadium? I mean, I have actually brought it, brought in fish many times um, into football stadium. Um, every time I broke, I have to take a smoky home uh, for my wife. I've you've joked about how many smokies I could smuggle into our broth. Um, and I think that's probably either that or my uh, Magic the Gathering deck that I took to Ibrox away. But Salmon Mania, what a time to be alive. It was just, you know, you know, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Uh, I remember he was on fire at that point, scored in every game for, was it like eight or nine games? Scored the penalty against Celtic to put his 1-0 up. I remember being in the pie cube with you, Matt, and just going, what do we do? We're 1-0 up at Celtic and they can't equalise against us for 15 minutes. Uh, it was great. I remember that Queen of South game quite vividly because that was um, that was the first time I'd been to Dumfries. I got the 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 Hell Train at like ten thirteen or whenever it is, and everyone they were just bringing out all the old songs, Gabby Pickle chants and everything on the way down to Dumfries to some some poor wee pensioners who had set themselves up for a wee day out in Dumfries and a quiet picnic in the train were um, railroaded uh, by all these Thistle fans. But you mentioned, obviously, Dumbaya coming back and Abdul Osman. They, they both played in this game for the first... This was the first game they both played. And remember, the, the hype around them coming back was huge and going think that it's, it's like two new signings, as we said earlier. And then after about 15, 20 minutes, you realised Dumbaya and Osman were both not up not up to their previous form and yeah it became rapidly apparent and that was the game for me where I was like 
oh fuck, we need to wisen up sharpish because if not we are going down even though we won it was seeing the players that we'd relied on coming back injured being not very good was deeply concerning just going back to the smuggling this was probably a time in my life where i went clubbing not that i had to do not do that anymore far too old for that now and uh, i managed to smuggle a boneless banquet into east cabride's only nightclub so i don't think i've got anything into a football ground that's weird but that was probably my proudest smuggling achievement um james how important do you think Cup runs are when you're sort of in a, a poor run of form in the league. We've obviously won it at Queen of the South and then we've backed that up the following week, winning at St Johnson. How important do you think it is to get a bit of momentum at the cup the cup competitions? No, I think you're right. I think I think it's really important. Again, it's just that way, particularly when you're in a team that's is struggling at the bottom end of a league and you know, most weeks you're getting beat or you're maybe getting a draw and you're not winning for a while. Like you know, just getting that getting that like you said, that momentum back behind you and just it does just raise confidence. I think I think you know we've all seen that over the years of yeah a, a good performance like that it does raise spirits and it does show that it just get, gets a bit of the feel good factor back. You know um, I, I think so I think stuff like that is really important. You know I, I do think that okay yeah it's against lower league opposition again it's, it's not about that it's about just getting a win just getting a win by any means necessary and again like you said that we did kind of carry that into the following game anyway was that the St Johnston game wasn't it. That's right, yeah. After, yeah, yeah. So, um, and like you said, you know, that's our first away win in donkeys. So, I think, I think, I think it does play a part. Yeah, I, I do think it is important. I do think it matters. I, I, there might be some people that kind of turn their nose up at that idea, but uh, I'm sorry, not one of them. I think that again, it's just about building momentum, and you know, like it doesn't. You can only play who's in front of you, and so and on that basis, I think it's just again, it's just about getting the wins back, getting the confidence up, getting the, getting a couple goals, like particularly for like the forward players who. You know, if they've been, you know, feeding off scraps for the entire season and not really getting many chances, you know, get getting a game like that where I think Salmon scored twice, didn't he? Again, it's just get, gets their confidence up, and they obviously up front strikers and forward players like that's such a huge, huge, huge part of the game. It's just like their mentality. So I, I think all those things do benefit it. Yeah, totally. Heather, do you want a word on the the St Johnson away win? That was that was three one, as we say. Salmon mania is at its peak. I think Bailey Cargo had a good start to this whole career. What were you feeling? Uh, and that day in Perth? Well, Perth had always been a place where we'd really struggled to have wins. So getting to win them at David Park was never something not to be celebrated. And I just remember, I mean, the, the goal that Ryan Edwards scored afterwards, the kind of breakaway goal and the run was absolutely fantastic. And I do remember thinking in my optimistic self, like, if we're winning games like this, surely we'll stay up. Surely we'll find a way because after having, you know, two games in a row of of good vibes and good football, you just thought, oh, like finally the season will turn. And I think that also that um, that Muzzy was back in. At, was that just before? I can't remember, but there did seem to be um, a kind of good feeling around the club, but also the fact that I'm, I'm obviously they did score another penalty. We did concede a lot of penalties that year. Um, but the fact that we managed to not just, you know, hold on to a 2-1 win, but, you know, go and make it, um, you know, solidify it. And also, I always quite enjoyed the Ryan Edwards celebration. That was always a a, a, a fun one for our Australian friends. <laughs> Reese, do you want to come in? Final word on January. Aye, just to, to the last bit on January, just as a wee footnote, surely we need to mention uh, our 2-1 victory over Shanghai Shenhua. Demba Bass, Shanghai, Shanghai Shenhua. 
Was that the team that Carlos Tevez played for and then yeah. apparently shot himself from playing against Danny Devine and, and left days before? Aye, that's the one. And you know the, how mad is it that the two goals that we scored was a Danny Devine. I think that was his only Fissel goal, obviously unofficial, being in a friendly. And the second was a, an own goal which was assisted by Milan Nitransky. I don't, I don't actually believe that that game happened. It just simulated that that didn't exist. I'm yet to see footage of the the Danny Devine goal, so I, I'm I'm not believing that until I see it. Look, for, look forward to us um, doing the 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 deep dive expose of what happened in Spain uh, on the the January uh, the January training holiday against Shanghai Shenhua uh, pod in about uh, a year or two. It'll be great. Was that not when did did Ryan Edwards not do like ah? Uh... But behind the scenes undercover thing on Jag Zone, was that then or was that during summer? I do remember. Oh my god, I'm absolutely not out. Right. <laughs> I've definitely taken it out. Uh, Rhys, before we come on, you sent us a video on from TikTok that was titled "The Ultimate Deception," and uh, I'm I'm calling that that Shanghai friend with the ultimate deception. There's no way Danny Devine's getting on the score sheet against that team. Um, we'll move on to February. This was a, a big month for, for weather and climate. The UK was hit by its biggest earthquake in a decade, registering 4.4 on the Richter scale in South Wales. It could be felt all the way up to Liverpool in the north of England. Uh, the beast from the east makes its way over to the UK. Uh, that was big, big weather event. And Toys R Us sadly going to administration. It wasn't just the famous toy retailer who was struggling, though, as the Jags exited the Scottish Cup to Celtic and only picked up one point out of 12 in the league. I think it's hard to argue against this being a defining month. We we drew it, we drew away at Motherwell and we, we lost to Rangers at Firhill and then the two big ones at the end of the month, losing 2-1 at home to Dundee and then 2-1 away to Hamilton. Against Dundee, we were a goal up with six minutes to go, conceded twice late on there. And then we conceded an injury time goal to lose away at Hamilton in consecutive weeks. Heather, how defining a, a week, a fortnight was was that little period? It was absolutely horrific. And I think obviously because we'd had that victory against Dundee earlier in the season where we'd got that 1-0 win, or sorry, we'd got the goal against them, I think they felt like it was some sort of justice. But I've never seen a team fold so much. And the, def- the the way that we were unable to clear our lines that season was just horrific. I mean, James and I have been talking about the fact, like, throughout this, to watch some of the highlights back. And the way that we just don't know how to defend or how to hold on to a ball is, is just horrible to watch. And poor... Thomas Cherney or whoever I know Scully was in goals a few times that season too because they really were set up for failure with the inability that was in front of them and I think we really missed having a solid partnership in the middle that was able to you know protect things and hold on to the ball when when we needed to but both those games I remember just being feeling absolutely defeated from it and I think also like a word on that Celtic game um Celtic were really not good that that day and I'm sure did we not go like 3-0 down or 2-0 down very early on and sure Adam Barton was at fault for one of them and then we kind of came back and we scored two goals but it was quite late you know there was no way and then Kieran and then we randomly got like a chance right at the end and Kieran Tierney saved like um made like a stop on the line and celebrated it as if he'd won the World Cup kind of thing 
And I remember everyone tweeting afterwards, like Celtic fans, like, oh, he's one of, you know, this boy will never leave us. He gets what it is to wear a Celtic shirt, etc. But um, that was just a little off piece. But I think that um, it was a it was a horrible time. And the fact we talked earlier, but when we scored, when we won a few games in a row, the confidence went up. And just as soon as that, when you lose two games in such quick succession, and in the same way, that's just heartbreaking. And I think actually, just talking about what's happened to the club recently, I was talking about like how hard it is to watch the Dingwall game and and how tough it is to just to understand. Watching this season back today has actually made me realise that what would I prefer to watch us have a right good go, especially since when Chris Dillon came in and we kind of had the Dillon fever for the last few months, or watch your team absolutely fall apart and implode over a whole season I think I'd actually take what happened to us in Dingwall over reliving this season again I think that's interesting because I think we all said at the time oh, Dingwall felt so much worse than getting relegated so it's interesting watching back you'd maybe prefer the, uh, this season we've had James I asked you at the, the start of the episode if if the summer of 2017 was the most positive you felt as a as a Thistle fan I'm going to ask you can you remember a more costly sort of seven-day period as as these two Saturdays losing straight back to back to Dundee and Hamilton? I don't think so. Like honestly, because you look back down, I think that those are the games that cost us our place in the Premiership. You know, I mean, so at the end of the season we were level on points with Aki's, but they had a better goal difference, so they finished tenth and we dropped it in the playoffs. So I think that these were the games that ultimately decided our fate. You know, these are the ones that, were, that you say were incredibly costly. And for me as well, particularly that Dundee game, that, that was quite a seminal moment in my life because it was, obviously Simon Murray scored both those goals right to the death. It was both kind of opportunistic ones. And ever since then, I've been utterly terrified of the man just because he always, always, it feels to me anyway, he always scores against us. Like, again, even Dingwall, like, as soon as he came off the bench, didn't like that one bit. You know, so like, I, I've, I've, he's always been, I, 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 this is the, the game that kind of start, started my fear of him. I've always been a bit scared of him. And then obviously the Aki's game later. I mean, Heather touched on it, but the fact that it was the manner of the defeats, you know, because okay, yeah, we done the games that yeah, okay, last five minutes we just totally switched off, fine. But then the Aki's game was like, we went one 0 up, you know, quite early on we got a penalty, and then as about two minutes later, Aki's equalised, you know, so we couldn't even hold on to it at all. And like, that was the, I think there was just a few things that happened over the course of both of those games where it just felt like. Just like an absolute gut punch constantly, you know. I just felt like we couldn't get any sort of momentum, and then obviously there was that last minute goal. I think it was Templeton, maybe. But it, it, in that game, so we we got a goal chopped off at one point as well, and it was just it just kind of felt like everything was conspiring against us. I think, and like like you said, they they ended up being two really damaging performances because you know our next few games after that. I mean, I know we're going to get onto it, but you know they were all difficult games against good teams for the most part. So that that I, I think that those were the ones. I I, I think that those were the ones where it was like, oh god, we're in some real trouble now because as I say, we're ready to go into March, but it, when you looked at the fixtures, you thought we're not going to get much in March at whatsoever. You know, so I think we really needed to get something from those games, or even just avoiding defeat would have been fine. But you know, I so I think I think you're right. They were that was a particularly disheartening week to be a Thistle fan and it's hard to remember the last time like we, we suffered such t- to such damage and results and 
quick succession. The only th- thing I can think of is, you know, last season when we got beat to, beat by Hamilton and Cove at home. And again, you think, God, if we win those games, we win the league. You know, and we should have won those games. So again, it's that thing of this, like, a bit, a bit of a sliding doors moment, in my view. Yeah. I think you make a good point about the fixtures because this is probably about the, the time in the season where folks start looking at run-ins. And as you say, we're going to look at March in a moment, but the fixtures were starting to look a bit tougher and that was obviously the the chance to pick up some points and get them on the board. It's really interesting about Simon Murray because he's obviously terrorised us for you think he, he scored for, for Hibs against us that season and then he's scoring for Dundee. And he's this season just gone, he's scored for Queen's Park and Ross County against us. And I'm sure he must have scored for Dundee United. He may, maybe not have scored for Dundee United, but had impacts on games. I wonder if there's any players who have scored against us for as many different teams as Simon Murray. That's maybe one for Thistle Archive if he's if he's listening. We'd love to know. Um Reese, do you want to give us the final word on February? How how bad and costly a month was that? Yeah, like you say, probably one of the worst in, in memory. Um I'm actually surprised um, just hearing back that those games were in February. Like, I could have swore, like whenever I think about this season and and the sort of the most crucial points, the turning points, I always think about that Dundee and the Hamilton games, and I could have swore that they were like even closer towards the end of the season. Just just the way they they felt as if it was a nail in the coffin. But I, Simon Murray, I I can't stand the guy. He's probably I didn't want to say it on Twitter and stuff because you just look like you're sitting fuming. You don't want to give them any sort of satisfaction, but probably my most hated footballer. I can't, I actually can't stand him. And like, obviously, he's, he's a decent enough player because he does put the ball in the net. But I actually wouldn't want us to sign that guy, mate. I actually, we've got no time for him. And every time he scores against us, he pure sprints away, buzzing with himself. Oh, mate, I just, I'm sitting fuming thinking about him. But aye, not a good month at all. Well, we'll move on to March, which was perhaps. As equally bad a month. Um, the Salisbury poisonings took place. Uh, the northern white rhinoceros went extinct and Professor Stephen Hawking died. So that, that was a tough month, uh, March 2018, not one to, to look back on too fondly. On the pitch, Thistle had a, a sort of gallant 0-0 draw at home to Aberdeen on a very rainy day for Hill, if I recall. And then we went to Tynecastle, back to Tynecastle. We were 3-0 down at half-time. And David, can you remember a worse individual performance than Abdul Osman that day? No, <laughs> I, I, I know. There, there's probably many contenders, even when you think about the 1971 reenactment. At least we weren't trying to like snap like the the Celtic players that, <laughs> that were there as well. It was atrocious, man. The, 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 there's been some absolute stinkers out there, but I think, I think the sheer negligence of the performance is one that puts Osman over for me. You can be bad. Lord knows I've been bad at football most of my life, and that's fine. That's how life works. However, Osman had all the tools to give us a performance and had shown he could do that in years gone by. But at this point, he'd absolutely chucked it. Just didn't really care. You know, trying to get sent off is an incredibly like just shit-headed thing to do. And yeah, I'd say no. There's not really any worse than Abdul Osman in that game. It was absolutely reprehensible. I think the thing about Osman this season was he he missed a big chunk, sort of around late autumn, early winter time, and we were sort of pinning our hopes in him coming back. And he was the club captain at that point. And I I liked Abdul Osman. I thought he was really important in the top six season. I thought he was sort of what we were needing, a bit of dig in midfield, and he complimented Stuart Bannigan really well. The last six months of his Thistle career were, were disgraceful. Like, as I say, the club captain coming back, we'd pinned our hopes on him coming back to shoot us up. 
and he just looked so disinterested. And as you say, David, I think he'd been booked in, in the first half when we were three 0 down, and then he just he just started sliding into tackles as if he <laughs> he can't really paint it any other way. It just looked like he was trying to get sent off, and he gets he gets hooked at half time. It was it was bizarre what sort of happened to him at the end of his Thistle career. Heather, what are your thoughts on on how Abdul Osman's Thistle career came to an end? Well, I remember the program used to do a thing like a segment where you chose like your starting eleven from the team that you've kind of grown up with or had. And I'll testify, I had Abdul Osman in that because when, as you say, Matt, when he was great in the top six season, he gave us something which. I don't think many Thistle midfielders have had over the years, which was that kind of like dig deep grit, win the ball at all costs kind of thing. But then he just, I mean, obviously we have to talk about the hats. Um, the the sudden want to be a fashion trend person and getting Paul Pogba to pose and all these, in these it's not easy hats. Um, it really was... A, a rubbish way to fin- to to finish his career with with Thistle, and um, I mean it's not easy. Became the mantra for for uh, Thistle fans for quite a while, and I'd quote it all the time. It's on it, the same ilk as uh, we go again, but maybe a bit more uh, Thistle niche. It was just bizarre, and I'm sure after that he really struggled to get back into the team, and. Unless it's like when Gary Neville was like the club captain of Man United, but then like didn't play. Normally in a champions or sorry in a in a Scottish team, if you're the captain, it means you're playing every week and and you are instrumental on and off the pitch. And I just don't think that would really inspire me, especially when we talked about having some of the young players around at the time. You know, going in and seeing like Abdul Osman wearing like a purely horrible hat. Um, wouldn't really get me going for games so uh, yeah a really disappointing way to finish and I feel like it must be hard for someone like him to come back because um, it's in like you know how obviously some players do come back Martin Hardy's come back and James uh, Cragen and things people who've had good memories gone and played for other teams but managed to keep a positive thing I feel a lot of fans still remember just the the the, the wild turn of events with him I remember when, when we got relegated and Archie said he felt let down by quite a few players, like some of them wanted to, to leave us basically as soon as we got relegated, some had sort of down tools. It's quite, it's almost impossible to think he wasn't sort of talking about Abdul Osman, he was talking about the downing of tools, like his performances really dropped off. And you're right, Heather, like for a, a club captain to be on the bench for most of the, the run-in is bizarre. I think it sort of speaks volumes for, for where his attentions were towards the end of that season. Reese, do you want to come in? I remember all the way back to the opening day of the season, the game against Hibs, I remember thinking, right, Osman's coming off the back of yeah, a brilliant season, getting us top six. He's probably one of the best like defensive midfielders in the league. And was that Hibs? That was Hibs' first season back in the Premiership, wasn't it? So you know, they were coming up and obviously he was up against John McGinn. And obviously you look at what John McGinn's gone on to be. And I remember McGinn absolutely bullied Osman. And I was like, how, how is we John McGinn bullying this after Osman? But... That, that was just the beginning of the end from Osman. Like obviously, he had injuries and stuff, but it's almost as if he chucked his whole career for that. It's not easy. And I think that only lasted about six months as well. And I could understand if he'd sort of turned his attention to a, a growing uh, fashion empire, but it wasn't. He? Like, he sort of chucked his whole career. And I even thought after, like, I remember he signed for Falkirk, maybe was it the next season or the season after? And I remember thinking, oh, he'll go on to 
he'll be brilliant for Falkirk. But he just he, he never bothered his ass again. And I don't even know if he still plays now. I have seen he's jumped about a few non league teams in England, Sunday league teams and whatnot. But he just gave up his career. Um, it was a sad way for things to fizzle out. And then you look at like uh, Andy McCarthy. He he was brilliant for us that season. He took his chance and he stepped up and. And done his best in a job that Abdul Osman should have been doing. So uh, disappointing from from Osman. I remember when he joined Falkirk as well. He came back to Fulham in the Championship the next season, and I remember he said after the game, he was disappointed and surprised at the reaction he got from Thistle fans. Like he got booed obviously at Fulham. You know, like wh- why, mate? Like what did you expect? Like you were the club captain in, in the worst season in, in a wee while, and you were rubbish and you get dropped. Like what did you expect? Yeah. The sort of crowd reaction to you to be. Anyway, I was going to ask you all this at the end, but I'll, I'll ask you now. Um, do you know, does anyone on this call or anyone at all know anybody who has bought a hat from Abdul Osman? I feel Reese has one. He must have one. <laughs> you take that, Reese. Mate, respect Come. me. Honestly, respect me. But if I, if I was to put money on anyone buying one, I would say Jamie McDonald. But he's not on the pod today. So, Jamie, if you're listening... Have you got a, have you got one of their hats? See, see, to be fair, I met Abdul Osman one time, um, just in town shopping, and I'd never approached like football players or fistle players or it because I just normal guys. But I seen Osman just sitting there, and I remember I was I was speaking to him, and he was actually brand new. He was so sound, and uh, I was talking to him about fistle and stuff, and he's like, "Oh, do you go to all the games?" And I was like, "I, I was up at Ross. This was after the four 0 game, and I was like, oh, I was up at Ross County for that four 0 game, and I remember he was just like, "Ah, oh, fuck that." I was like, wait, that's your club captain saying, like, fuck, fuck, going to watch that. Do you know what I mean? Wild. Nice guy, but honestly, space could it. That reminds I, me, Reese, of, you know, because um, we're about to, I, probably, I think we are about to go talk about John Lambie. My, uh, John Lambie questioned my dad's parenting technique because I think, um, like, on one of his last games, I was, like, in his, like, second or, like, last bit of the club, I was mascot that day. And um, and I think we'd actually just played Ross County or been somewhere in the Highlands, and um, and John Lambie was like, "Oh, you didn't take the wee one all the way up there, did you?" Like I think because obviously we'd lost, and my dad was like, "Oh no, yeah," and and John Lambie was like, "Oh, like you know, get a life kind of thing. Like don't don't ruin the girl's life at seven years old." So that kind of reminds me of that, but in a much different way in the sense of John Lambie's doing it out of love while Abdul Osman's just doing it potentially out of lack of care. If you do have an Abdul Osman hat, please let us know. We would love to hear from you and see it. Uh, we will move on to April now. We will be chatting about John Lambie this month. Uh, April started off, again, pretty badly. Uh, the sugary drinks tax came into force just 24 hours before we lost 1-0 at home to, again, Steve Clark's Kilmarnock. Uh, David, how tougher twenty four hours was that for you? Oh, it was it was Armageddon. It was yeah, it, I, I, believe, I I had cans of Iron Brew um for ages and ages and ages after, just like the the original uh, recipe ones. Um and let, let's be honest, it's all it's all been downhill from there in, in many, many ways in all of our lives it's been downhill from there. I'm I'm a I'm a big staunch SNP fan. Well, uh, well I was, but this was the sort of beginning of the end of you know maybe they're not fallible. Maybe maybe there's another path for me um, politically because this was, it was just a grave betrayal. Let's be honest, it was a grave betrayal. Um, and and don't get me started on Jamie Oliver. <laughs> I can go in for Jamie Oliver. I've got to stay away from the politics, but I'll go in for Jamie Oliver. 
Um, that, I've asked, is this the low point at least 10 times by now? But James was losing 4-0 away to Ross County in the snow on a Tuesday night that, in the deer of this season. And I'm not following this lover, maybe. I think I think we'd have to. It's definitely in the deer of that season. To be, to be honest, I'm just amazed that that's now no longer the most painful trip to Dingwall we had. I thought that was never getting talked, but and, you know, but you know, Partizan, we always find a way to outdo ourselves. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, County County were they were not a good team that season. They finished dead last. They went down, and I mean, what, what can you say? I mean, they were all over us that game. They were just better. You know, like we didn't really get much of a look in at all. Again, put heat way a lot more pressure on as well. It came at the end of a run of defeats as well. I'm pretty sure. And it's just again, it's that thing of just going like, oh god, right, I'm forgetting pumped off county. It's like, well, what, you know, what chance have we got of staying up? So it was quite that. Uh, and that was, that was another really despondent moment in a season that wasn't exactly short of them. Um, a terrible day, Owen Coyle, the county manager, bringing on David and Gog, which felt like a, a personal bit of taunting. At least, at least he automatically relegated Ross County, so get again, get it right around Owen Coyle. And I'll come to you for for a bit of good Partick Thistle from this season. Partick Thistle two, Hamilton Mackies one. This was the first game after the, the passing of John Lambie. Uh, it was a it was a really good day for her, actually a great atmosphere. How big a win was this? How how good did it feel after the game? Well, firstly, it was such a emotional day at Firhill. And um, what a wonderful send off it was for such an incredible man who's done. It's actually you can't put into words how much John Lambie means to this club and what and what he achieved with such um, a unique set of players and his unique style of managing, which I don't think we'll ever see again. And it's something that must be enjoyed. And I hope all Thistle fans, you know, growing up get a kind of get to relive in some way the John Lambie era because it was magic to grow up in and um and something that just made you so proud to be a Thistle fan and the way I'm sure it's his daughter who spoke before the game was so emotional and yeah also the fact that we were playing Hamilton a team another team which he had a hand in um was really special as well and I always think that it's important to mention like how well the 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 Hamilton fans reacted to it and it was just a genuine celebration of of him uh obviously we went one nil down that wasn't great I think Templeton cupped his ears to the stand and I always thought that's a weird thing to do because attendances were quite low that year obviously weren't playing very well so I don't really know who was doing that to and but yeah and then we went on this you know obviously we scored and then and then Ryan Edwards scored, and I'm sure like that's it's like Chris Erskine's lying on the floor, and it's uh as my um my dad always calls it a stromash in the box. There was uh, bodies everywhere, and then I always thought it was very strange the way that um Ryan Edwards runs over and puts it, you know, and like jumps into Abdul Osman's arms. And I remember thinking, oh maybe he is all right, maybe like things are better, like the fact that they're running to their, you know, their captain. But it was a moment of magic in a very disappointing season. And I remember thinking, you know, oh my goodness, the gods are, sm- you know, the gods are smiling on us. John Lambie is going to find a way to rescue us. And we will go on to talk about what happens later. But even when, you know, we scored the goal at Dundee to uh, secure not automatic promotion, I remember even thinking then, like. Oh, like that's John Lambie. He's he's finding a way, and um, yeah, it was it was a special day and something that 
it's as we've talked about it already I've tried to block out a lot of this season and I've and one of the only memories I've really kept is that one so I'm like oh yeah it was a great season we beat Hamilton 2-1 and we celebrated John Lambie I feel like that's a kind of David way of thinking so uh, so thank you David for inspiring that no problem <laughs> David do you uh, you want to round us off on April um <laughs> it was it, um, it, it was not a great time you you really felt we were in deep deep trouble the Aki's game was a bright spot but I mean even then we went 1-0 down but the, the 4-0 county game was an experience and a half and I was just coming to terms with the fact that I couldn't really get sugary uh, iron brew uh, very much it was it was a t- it was a tough scene for us all at that point sure was uh, you mentioned Heather Ryan Edwards running to, to Abdul Osman um, after his, his winning goal against Daki saying a pair of snakes there perhaps uh, May last month of the season Israel won you fucking hell talking about tough scenes Israel won Eurovision uh, which was held in Portugal that year and this was also the hottest May in 108 years sadly though it was still a bit gloomy at Hill. this will won Ross County won this is another huge game we avoided a 4-0 defeat my memory of this game is just lots of handball shouts in the second half that Kevin Clancy turned down James I'll come to you first on this game what are your memories of this one Again, this is one that I didn't really, I couldn't really remember much of it off the top of my head, but then I went back and watched the highlights uh, earlier today, and you're absolutely right. There's so many shouts for penalties, and it's just remarkable we don't get any. Like, I mean, obviously that's football, and that happens sometimes. You don't, you can't rely on a referee to win a game. But I mean, that again, it was just one of those ones where you just thought, like, God, like it's just this isn't our day. You know, again, it's like like we said about a few games this season, it just seemed like. No matter what we were doing, no matter what we tried, it just wasn't going to fall our way or work or work for us, you know. Again, that I think we took the lead in that game as well, and again we were one 0 up. But then I think I'm pretty sure County scored like just before, shortly before half time, and yeah, like you say, we, we bombarded the box. We're getting all sorts of crosses in, like all sorts of. It, it's hard to tell, like watching back the highlights, whether or not any of them are fouls or not. Like you know, it's it's not the best quality and all that kind of stuff. You don't get multiple angles, but. I mean, it's it's one of those ones again where it just felt like it, 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 again it, it kind of started sowing that seed of mm, this this just isn't our season, you know. Again, it just kind of reinforced that. Like it was, like I said, there's been a few games this season where it just things just didn't fall our way, and this was just another one of them, for, as far as I could tell. Yeah, this was a this was a strange game, wasn't it? I th- <laughs> we had so many chances to go that when you look back at like how. The relegations battle work in the Premiership with the the top six and your your playing teams in and around you. We, we still had a chance to get out of it. I think we've lost it for Hill to Motherwell and in, in this run as well. And I think the Hamilton game was the only game at for Hill we won. And we had three home games and the, the post split fixtures were looking good. So we had Hamilton at home, Motherwell at home, who were preparing for a cup final and County at home. And you were like looking at that going, we've won two of them and maybe pick up a point somewhere else. We should be all right and we've just fallen short in the end obviously last game of the season then we're going to Dens Park needing a result Ross County might they were away at St Johnson they might win we might go down automatically Chris Doolin not for the first time saves the Jags uh, this time from automatic relegation Heather what were the emotions on this day because it was a, it's another just a strange day where 
it was a sort of mix of jubilation and, and tension because we were so happy we weren't going straight down. But we were like, oh, God, we've got a playoff now. What are your memories of this day? I remember being on my phone a lot and refreshing, very similar to the the Rafe Rovers game we had recently where were we going to be third, second, fourth, and it was all very dramatic. And I mean, I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but it was a really strange one because I, oh, who's, is it either Dundee United or St. Johnson, whatever, something happens in that game which helps us. And, you know, we've got the, I think we've got the ball in the middle of the park and the news travels round the stadium and we just start celebrating. And it's always a weird one when, you know, you start celebrating something that's happening. It's one of those ones you see a match of the day and you think it's funny and you wonder, do the players know what's happened? Have they worked it out? I remember thinking, surely not, you know, surely we won't get uh, Osvaldo demoted. And you think, especially with Chris Doolan coming on and scoring that goal, it was so important. And, I also remember, I think Dundee were safe at that point because I generally, generally at one point felt like they almost gave us a little bit of a a leeway. Uh, or I don't know if it just, it, it I just felt quite relaxed actually after we scored. You know, I felt, oh, it's fine. And I remember feeling quite excited in some way about going into, into the playoff. I think because, I mean, if you're going to choose between automatically getting relegated or the playoff you're going to take the playoff you want to fight for your you want to fight but um yeah it was it was a strange one but you did feel especially as we talked about Chris Doolan hadn't really been his all-rounder best self that season due to injury and etc and also not getting in the team because of Salmon and Story at different points and you just felt at the right time he was coming up and you know, playing a really important goal, uh, sorry, role, sorry, because I think in the Ross County game before, the goal that Erskine scores is set up by Dylan. It's a lovely, it's a fantastic goal. So it just felt like things are falling into place and and um, and it could be, you know, kind of save, save Thistle, save, save us and we'll, and we'll um, try better next year and maybe have a flush out of players and um, and find, you know, a new way of going at it. I think there's maybe something in the fact that Dundee were safe, Heather. Um, I remember they played, I think Callum Ferry made it maybe his first league start for Dundee, who's now at Queen's Park, but he was obviously a young goalie then and he started for Dundee. I remember Neil McCann come over to applaud the Thistle fans at the end, which was nice of him, but again, a little bit strange. <laughs> it was just Reese's pal, Simon Murray, who seemed hell-bent on equalising for Dundee. The game did, it was obviously very nervous, but you wouldn't say we were being bombarded or anything by Dundee. It was was a bit of a strange one. Speaking of Simon Murray, he was the one that gives the ball away for Dylan to score. So well, that was nice of him. That was yeah. So so th- so as much as we absolutely hate his guts, it was kind <laughs> of him to pass the ball to Stevie Lawless that day. <laughs> so David, how are you feeling getting into the playoff? I think at this point, it's I mean it's obviously still weighted in favour of the Premiership team, but I think at this point maybe only only Hamilton had come up through the playoffs, so. How confident were you when you were going to be playing Livingston? Uh, were you sort of quite, obviously we just watched 10 months of pretty horrific football, but were you as confident as you possibly could be going into that, that time? I think so. Um, I, I, I distinctly remember Livy coming out of nowhere to come second. It was very much like air. This season, certainly, obviously, when you're in the Premiership, you only look at the Premiership. If you're in the Championship, you only really look at the Championship. You don't really bother the other two. But 
Livy came out of nowhere and finished second and got through the playoffs. And it was, I think for us, it was because only Hamilton had done it. There was a sort of expectancy of we've been absolutely chronic all season, but there is flashes there. We had the last day, you know, survival at Dens Park. Because, I mean, I remember going into that Dundee game thinking, we are we are pretty doomed. Like we we won't. Dundee are safe. We, we Ross County will pull out a result and we're going to go down. And then when they didn't, I remember being so ecstatic at the fact that we'd finished eleventh instead of twelfth. And because it was kind of weighted in your favour. I mean, we spent the whole season this season talking about the playoffs and how it really is the deck is stacked against you if you're further fourth. And, you know, even as the second place team, you've got to play four games and it's a really taxing schedule. I was fairly confident that we would get over the line. I didn't think we were going to smash Livingston, but I thought we had had enough about us where we would grind a result out when we needed to and how how right I was. (laughs) I think it just sort of highlights how strange and unpredictable football is because you look at that season, we were getting into the playoff off the back of an away win over Dundee. And then you look at this season, you think Ross County lost their last game of the league season pretty badly at Kilmarnock to end up in a playoff. And we were flying and we lose that playoff. And we, and we also lose the playoff where we've gone into off in, in 2018 off the back of a win as well. And it just sort of shows you, you talk about momentum a lot, but it, it doesn't count for, for everything that's what you do in the day. James, where did it go wrong against Livingston then across the two legs? Because I, I think it's still fair to say we were the favourites going into that tie. Obviously, Livingston were not to be underestimated. They put Dundee United uh, out of the playoffs in, in their semi-final. But where did it all go wrong across the two legs? Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Because um, like, like uh, David touched on, um, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect from Livingston just because I didn't really watch much championship football at all that season. So I wasn't sure what to expect. And obviously the first leg over there, I mean, we, we take the lead through Dolan fairly early on and you kind of go, all right, well, this is, you know, this is good. This is it. And again, like you said as well, as the premiership team, you are the favourite. There's a, maybe a, an expectation for you to stay up. And as, as soon as we get the early goal, I'm kind of going, ah, well, here we go. This is it. Like, we're, we're laughing. I think, though, when you look at the two legs, I mean, I remember speaking to Archie about this and, you know, I think he, he put he put it really well. I think he, he said that the Livingston team that we played, they had shades of like John Lambie's thistle about them. You know, they were a hard working team. Obviously, you know, um, David Martindale was there at the time as a coach. Obviously, he's now the manager. And it's a lot of the similar sort of things that you see in today's Livingston team were apparent in that one too. A lot of the same players as well, and even some instances. And I think that they just they had a real sort of steeliness to about them, a real a really solid work ethic, and they're sort of game, they're sort of team that are going to just make life difficult for you. And I think that that was the absolute worst kind of team we could have played at that time, because I think that season we were lightweight at times, like we've said plenty of times as well. The defense was never really convinced at any point of the season. So I think when you're in that, when when you are a bit lightweight like that, and then you find yourself coming up against a team that's really well organized, that works really hard, and they're just full of like guys that will fill guys that are battling, and the guys have maybe got a bit more fire in the belly than we did. Because I, I think that obviously, obviously in the second leg, as soon as Livingston score, like I think our heads drop, and that's perfectly understandable. But I, I do think that there there was something about just the way that Livingston were 
organised and prepared for that game. They just seemed like they were more up for it than we were, to be honest. And I know that's maybe a bit reductive and maybe a bit simplistic. But at the same time, I think it's hard to shake that feeling. I mean, I remember, in fact, for, this, for the second leg, I was actually, I was on holiday at the time. I was in Paris with my then girlfriend and we were, so I was going away for a kind of nice romantic week. And I managed to find a pub that was, that was showing the game. So I managed to go along, get watch it and I was all excited and looking forward to it. Then obviously, you know, absolutely crushed by the end of it all. And then I remember just having myself about, giving myself about 20 minutes to kind of mourn and grieve and be depressed. Then realising that I've still got a few days of this holiday left and it's a you know romantic trip to Paris, so I kind of need to buck my ideas up. So I didn't really even get to wallow all that much. But um, I, I remember this uh, one thing in particular about the second leg. Uh, I remember later on, like a, few, a couple of years ago, I was speaking to a member of the Livingston staff who was there at the time and I'll yeah, I won't say their name, just protect their anonymity, but uh, he said to me that the the moment that he realised that Livingston were going to win the game was when we brought Connor Salmon on <laughs> at the start of the second half. And at that point, he was convinced that that was it, the game was done. Um, I, I you, my abiding memory of those two matches is probably in the towards the end of the first half of the second leg. Uh, Blair Spittle's driving through on goal. He's got Squiddy open to his left, and it's like, oh, you, just, you need to play him in because it's a one-on-one. It's a great chance. It's, Erskine's probably, it's got a very good chance of scoring. And instead, Spittle had a go himself, and it came to nothing. And the, the, I just remember going absolutely ballistic at the telly because that was the moment where it became clear that, you know, if that, if that goes in, it's a different game. But then that doesn't go in, and then within a minute of the second half starting, Livingston get their goal, and at that point, we're kind of dead and buried. Yeah, I, th- I think that was a, a key moment. I think there's a few key moments. Obviously, Livingston's goal and then Salmon's penalty miss. The, the Spitter one when they that match is still nil nil and there's only one goal in the tie. I think it's a key one as well. I think if you look at the tie as a as a sort of three hour piece, it basically sums up where it went wrong that season. I think if you look back at Alan Archibald's successful period, which obviously outweighs as the the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, you look at Archie's successful teams. And there's steel in there, and then there's flair. And you think of the steel of the promotion team from 13, and you've got Peyton and Muirhead and Balatoni, and then you've got the flair from the fullbacks and Lawless. And then you think of the top six team, and you've got Liam Lindsay and Abdul Osman and Cherney, but then you've still got the flair again from the fullbacks, Erskine, Lawless, Doolan. This season, I think we still had quite a bit of the flair. I don't think scoring goals was the, the problem. But then you look at where's the steel coming from, and We've spoken about we've lost Liam Lindsay, Adam Barton's not the same player, Abdul Osman's not the same player. And we're really, we don't have that steel like Danny Devine couldn't really deal with the balls getting shared into the box like Liam Lindsay could. Martin Woods in midfield wasn't as sort of imposing as Osman or as Bannigan on his day. We didn't really have that steel. And in the end, we played into Livingston's hands because, as you say, James, we brought Connor Salmon on and we started just shelling balls into their box. And their back three was like Craig Halkett. Alan Lithgow and Declan Gallagher and that, that was bread and butter to them they loved that so <laughs> as soon as we brought Salmon on and I think Archie said as well in the first leg it was a, a sort of quite a strange comment from Archibald I'm, I don't remember him really going in on players that often I don't know if he was trying to get a reaction for the second leg but I remember him basically saying I like the players did not follow the game plan he really went in on them and was like I did not tell him to start shelling long balls I don't know why we did that but then we did it again in the second half of the second leg, and and that, that I think that's that's where it went wrong. We sort of lost 
over the course of that period, um, in 2017 into 2018, we lost the steel that sort of helped make the flare effective. And if you lose that steel, it's sort of game over in the end. Um, Heather, any thoughts on the on the playoff to, to round us off? I think, if I remember correctly, the goal that Chris Dillon scored to, to start, you know, obviously when we went 1-0 up at the Tony Macaroni, was a very good goal. And I remember thinking, what a shame that happened in a loss. But I did feel quietly confident about the fact that going into one down, I felt like we we would find something and I just I just felt like we laid down to them but when you look back at the season as a whole did we deserve to be in the premiership after the way that we performed probably not and I do think that we we took on the excuses a few few too many times about the fact that our injured players weren't weren't around and I just felt like we ran out of ideas very early on in the season and didn't and just felt like we were constantly chasing our tail in, a, in one of the BBC reports in around kind of February, March time, Alan Archibald said something about, you know, we need we're in charge. We need to get ourselves out of this mess. And he's totally right. And we just didn't manage it. And I think sometimes in, we kind of maybe depended on Livingston running out of steam or not having the creative uh, way to finish the game rather than ourselves going and finding a solution. And I do just think that it was a, it was a rubbish season to be a Jags fan and it just makes more what's happened over the last little while more exciting and yes that's a championship and yes it's different but I also just found I don't know if James will agree from watching back today the general attendance of Fur Hill was not very good you know there was maybe we were lucky to get about to get over 3,000 it was mainly like 2,500 and there wasn't really a buzz about the place. And I do think no matter what we say about what happened at Dingwall and, and the way this season's ended, and obviously with the fact that a few of our players have now left us, there is a kind of united front that is that is building that for Hill and a togetherness that I do think comes from having the Jags Foundation and having important people involved in the club and like people like Chris Doolan leading the way. And it does make you think that like that was a it was a tough time but we will bounce we did bounce back in some ways and we will find a way again i'm conscious of time here as we sort of passed the, the two hour mark i've got three post-season questions so i'll come come around each of you with one of them um david i'm going to ask you a 50 50 this is slightly different to the question i posed in the chat but if you could replay this season again and you can play one of these wild cards so you can either keep liam Lindsay for this season or you can, Liam Lindsay goes, but you can play the whole season and guarantee that there'll be no injuries. What option would you take? Oh, that's that's an interesting one. Um, in all honesty, I'd probably keep Lindsay purely because, I mean, like the main injuries were what Abdul Osman and Dumbaya. Osman, obviously, Bannigan. and Bannigan as well. Elliot, Elliot, both. Uh, both. I, pr- I probably would keep Lindsay just purely because of how integral he was to that defence and the fact that we conceded so many late goals and needless goals and we lost by one goal difference. If you have Liam Lindsay in there, we keep out at least one, if not two, of those goals. And arguably might go up in points, you know, or stay up in points as opposed to 
going down by one goal difference. I, I would probably keep Lindsay because I I think that he has such a huge effect on people like Barton and Keown that we probably would have been... I mean, the, the thing is, is that we weren't cut adrift. You know, and we're still fighting to the last day with County and, you know, Aki's as well. If we were just screwed the heat on a bit and had we just been a little bit better, we could have got out of it easily. There was, you know, four or five teams there that were sort of in that bottom half that weren't very good. It wasn't that we were just completely cut adrift and just the worst team by a distance in the league. There was a lot of bad teams, and I think that if Lindsay, I think, would have made the difference. I think d- defensively, of course, as well. You, you also forget Liam Lindsay scored seven or eight goals in the top six season. It was a big goal threat, and we lost that. We didn't really have a goal scoring centre half at all. We maybe haven't had one since either. Um, James, I'm going to ask you, David mentioned Adam Barton there. He, he won the Premiership, the whole league's Player of the Month, uh, during the 16-17 season. He was a, a shadow of himself in the 17-18 season. What do you think happened to him? Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? Cause like, like you say, the drop-off was stark. Because in the in the top six season, he was fantastic. He's one of the best players in the team. And then to go from that to you know the... To where he ended up. I mean, it was it was such a dramatic loss, and it's, it's hard to put your finger on. I think David's right. I think you know part of it is like the loss of Lindsay. I think that had quite a big knock-on effect on the players that played around him. I think Lindsay just made his teammates better, you know, because he just knew what he was doing. So that, that that's probably a part of it, um, and probably as well as like we touched on earlier, so the fact that there were injuries in the first team and that things did get shuffled around and players were playing out of position and like just that kind of just um, adds to disjointed nature i suppose and again like i think if you're a defender or a defensively minded player the one thing you that really helps is consistency you know playing alongside the same players every week in the same positions and doing the same stuff every week and that just didn't happen in the season we went down it's i think that's a big part of it as well but like you say it's just it's so difficult to put your finger on it just because he was obviously a a gifted player who could do it was like a very handy player for thistle and it just it just didn't work out for him again. I mean, and that happens, I guess. But it's quite difficult to pinpoint the exact reason why. There's just one other thing as well. I just realised that we should, definitely should have mentioned this back at the um, back in February. But we can't we can't go through this podcast without mentioning the Connor Salmon pizza photo, which was <laughs> taken at the Ross County game. One we lost two one when Murray scored twice, and Connor Salmon was man of match, looking absolutely miserable with his pizza. And I just Again, I think it's it's important we mark that because you know that's one of the you know enduring images I suppose of, of that season. Thank you, James. We may we may have a bit of competition now for the the picture of the season, uh, the picture of the podcast. Uh, David still have a, a decision to make there. Heather, last question. Honestly, did you think we would bounce straight back up? No, I really didn't. I think especially. Just the way that we folded that um, in the two games against Livingston and the way that you knew that a lot of the team were leaving. But equally, did we want to keep a team like that that played at that over the season? But we've talked about it, the fact it felt a little bit snaky, turncoats, like Ryan Edwards doing it, um, you know, activating his claws straight after. It just hurt. But also, I think as Thistle fans, we are normally quite, you know, understanding of where we stand. And from the, 
like the last little while the championship had been so tricky to get out of we'd had rangers and Hibs and Hearts and Dundee United, you know, floating around the different places there. And we saw how tricky it was for them to get out. So I was under no illusion. I thought, like, we're going to go. And I remember thinking, we might win some more games. I actually, I must admit, I was actually quite happy because that I just found out that I was moving to uh, the Highlands. So I was thinking to myself, and at that point, Ross County and Inverness were both in our league. Uh, I believe are in the championship so again like I was selfish of me thinking oh this is fantastic I'll have some some games close close by which aren't actually that close by at all but um yeah I don't I I generally didn't think that we that we would have it in us I think it would I knew it would take us a little while and I think we also knew that, that a change needed to happen from the top down absolutely David, we've mentioned how tough a season this was for you off the pitch with with the sugar tax and Israel winning Eurovision. It'd be remiss of me not to mention the fact that Peter Capaldi left Doctor Who this year, so a, a real tough time to be alive uh, for me and you. But I would say, you know, talk, talk about uh, sliding doors, moments and stuff like that. I didn't go to the Dundee game because it was the day of Eurovision and basically oh. it was going to be an absolute nightmare for me to try and get back from it. But um, I have a, a ritual uh, where every year I bet in Israel to win Eurovision, similar to like when I bet with Fisher Lewis, and then give all the money to a Palestinian aid charity. So I hope that the lads in the West Bank enjoyed their water filtration service, or whatever it is that they got with the money that I gave them after this. So um, at least someone get, had a good season in, in, in the West Bank. <laughs> I think that's probably quite a good place to finish then. So thank you for listening to this this special episode of Draw, Lose or Draw. It's especially if you've made it this far in, we've, we've passed the two-hour mark. We don't often do that. We will be back again over the summer. We've got a three-part series planned looking back on last season. Work is well underway on that. I know David's been recording some things for that. We also have a quiz night coming up in association with Jags for Good. That's taking place on Monday the 17th of July at the Three Crows in Glasgow and all proceeds from that are going to the Jags for Good season ticket fundraiser so get along to that Uh, that'll be a good night Um, and if you can't donate to Jags for Good season ticket fundraiser anyway that is a great cause from them Heather, David, Rhys, James thank you very much for joining me and in the meantime stay safe